the Ursa's claws. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the Age of Darkness podcast. As usual, don't forget to like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, any of the social medias. We're going to probably be on some of them, except for maybe Twitter. Not sure about that one. Also, you can contact us at agedarkspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we have, as usual, a packed episode for you today. Darren, what do we have in the strategium? Um, so we're talk, starting to talk about the actual rules. So in the last episode, we talked about our own personal legions and the beast that is Horus Ascendant. Um, and what we're going to be doing tonight is our top changes to the rules. So we're all going to come at this from a slightly different angle, and then there'll be some overlaps. But I just imagine there's also going to be some very individual views on this as well, as we all have very, very different play style. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think that's going to be a little bit more interesting than just going line by line, looking at the, the rules in, 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 in detail. Uh, it should be more interesting to just go through something really. It's also kind of clickbaity, I admit there. But like, yeah, we're going to go through our 10 favorite changes. After that, in Tales of Heresy, we will be concluding our analysis of old earth uh the the i guess the last of the salamanders arc even though there is uh, uh there there's a short story there's there's an anthology after that that has that has a lot of salamanders in it though i, I believe born of flame we'll probably come back to, well yeah born of flame we'll probably come back to that in a, in a much yeah later. yeah so we we need a break from the uh, salamanders for a while yeah that's two straight salamanders novels but uh this one is fantastic so can't wait to uh chat about this one a little bit later and uh, there's not going to be a uh, painting black and other colors because Miles is going to be on vacation for a couple weeks. On vacation, that's not the right term. He's, he's certainly not on a break. <laughs> he's Miles, not on a break. We know you're listening to this. We know you're not on a break. You you've currently got a far harder job than we have. So, um, JP, do you want to explain why Miles is not going to honor us with his dulcet Welsh tones tonight? Because our dear friend Miles uh, has just welcomed a new member to his family, and. Um, yeah, you know, obviously you're going to need a couple of weeks to, uh, I guess, not sleep at all. Well, he he says a couple of weeks. We're more expecting to see Mars back in October. Yeah. Um, when he's desperate for break and some actual <laughs> adult conversation. So, but everybody out that. there, pl- please, please join us in, in congratulating uh, Miles on a new member to his family. Uh, we're all very happy for him. And we do hope that uh, he comes back to us soon once he's uh, settled in a little bit. But... We are incredibly lucky to bring in a ringer. Um, so joining us today is our our dear friend, Alex, from the Death and Betrayal podcast. Alex, how are you doing today, sir? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me again. Uh, I appreciate the invite. Yeah, I don't know. If we want to do like a not quite, like a junior version of painting black and other colors, we can do that. <laughs> I know, you're, 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 you're quite the excellent painter uh, yourself. Uh, but uh, actually, this turned out really well because you also had uh, like some big news to uh, share with the community. And, and originally, we wanted, uh, wanted to have you on either way to, um, to discuss it. Uh, but uh, we're also delighted that you'll stick around for uh, to talk about uh, some of the rule changes. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. Um, I, I mean, if you want to get into uh, kind of what I'm, I'm trying to sling yeah, out yeah, right well, now, we can jump right please, into it. Please take the soapbox. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I... You know, we we've got a huge influx of people uh, coming into the heresy, largely from 40k. They're interested in, you know, sort of the different, more narrative-focused play styles that are a little more prevalent in uh, 30k than they have traditionally been in 40k. And uh, in addition to that, we've got a number of us starting new armies, which means we need new warlords and we need new backstories. 
right? Um, I've, I've been running around with Gareth Arendi forever, and you've been running around with, uh, you know, Prios Dracontides, and they have these long list of deeds, um, but we don't have anything to back up our new people. So, uh, you know, instead of sitting down and being like, yeah, this is a Praetor, like, 11642, he's got a Paragon blade and, you know, whatever, I don't know. Um, you can actually start with a name, start with uh, a, a character, whether he's based on someone from media or someone from history, or if you just made him up out of the blue. And now I'm trying to give us a, a stage or a, an arena in which we can really start to play through the heresy proper after the inciting incidents of Istvan. So there's a, a nice little inside your main rule book. There is a timeline of events um, for what happens. And so we'll kind of start after the Istvan five atrocity um, moving through and we're calling it uh, the push for beta garment or hashtag push for beta garment. And what it is is a global campaign that we can uh, all contribute to as much or as little as frequently or as infrequently as we want. So that way, by the time we get to Adepticon 2023 and we have the fate of Beta Garmin event in the evening, um, much like the uh, Return to Istvan Dropsite Massacre event that uh, I, I chatted about last time I was on the show, um, when you you know walk up to your main table or if you're playing on one of the supporting tables or one of the ZM tables and somebody goes, cool, like, hey, sweet blood angels, who's your warlord? You've actually got a backstory. You've got a story to tell that you've lived through the last few months. And then we've actually got something that we've all contributed to. We've all built and we all feel like we've lived part of what we've done. So every game that you play can have as much or as little meaning to it as you want. Um, and the gist of it is, is that we'll end up with a nice little story for each of us to tell at the end, uh, and we'll feel like we've contributed. Uh, there's a couple of benefits to this one. I get to practice my Photoshop skills a little bit, uh, cause I want to give like an updated growing map that shows sort of the fires of war and, and who's uh, controlling what, um, and we'll give that update every month because when you finish a game in the push for beta garment, You'll go to the Facebook group. You'll uh, go to the pinned post for that phase. Uh, so for example, like phase one will have the Battle of Fall in it as well. It'll have a number of other um, theaters of war, but I'm just choosing that one. And, you know, you can say, well, you know, I took uh, my Imperial Fist and I fought this Iron Warriors guy. And so I'm going to put it into the Fate of Beta Garment. So you fill out the Google form. Let me know what your loyalty was, who you were what your warlord was, and then a little like one paragraph sort of highlight, this is the resulting snippet of story that we got from the game. And then I would encourage you to actually put as big or as little of a bat rep typed out battle report, which is something that there's a couple of guys in Edmonton that do it just unbelievably. Like we always know when Scott's had a game because Scott will post up to Facebook with like a short novella that's just incredibly developed. And so I kind of pulled it a little bit from there and a little bit from the tale of heresy gamers that we're working on with Miles and uh, the fact that, you know, Craig, my co-host and I are both starting new armies and we want to have them tied in with each other and have a backstory, but we didn't just want to make it up. Um, we wanted to actually create it and create it together and along the way. So that's, that's the gist of the push for beta Garmin. Um, you know, if you post pictures on Instagram, do hashtag push for beta Garmin, join the Facebook group. Uh, I'll send a, a link. So that way um, we can put it in the show notes and uh, yeah, we, we hope to see you there and there's no strong commitment. 
it, like I said, it's as little or as laudable as you want to participate and as frequently or infrequently as you want to participate. And if you want to play it, play it really meta, uh, then if your warlord dies, you can build and paint a new one <laughs> and just continue through the phase um, or promote your champion to a praetor or, or whatever. Uh, if you're a real D&D player, you might fancy that. But um, yeah, so that's, that's the gist of it. Uh, I, I know that was a lot and kind of a hard feel, but uh, what questions do you guys have that, you know, the community at large might, if they're looking at participate? Well, my first question is, um, uh, and, and as you mentioned, this is um, sort of a, a continuation of the Return to Istvan events that, that, that you would run. Uh, and I'm wondering, uh, how, does, how does this connect to uh, events uh, in LVO at, and, and Adepticon or anywhere else? Yeah. So uh, LVO will... Um, factor in sort of a macro scale. Uh, now, if you, let's say you are coming to LVO, you can keep track of each one of your games, uh, you know, whoever you may be playing. And if you keep track of them, you can input them into the push for beta Garmin. And uh, now you've been at a, at a separate event fighting both on a, a micro scale for, you know, the Vigosian star system, but also on a macro scale for what's happening in the galaxy at large. And you don't require your opponent to actually complete that. If you do, it might be a good way to help get someone who's new to the game, seeing the kind of narrative and storytelling uh, developments that can come out of playing Horus Heresy, um, you know, tag them in it, uh, let them know that you're going to do that. And then you can put it in and you can go. Right. And then if you're at Adepticon, that's where we'll kind of wrap it up. If you had a new character that you maybe brought to return to Istvan, maybe you were, um, like an Iron Hands player, and you you brought uh, your own custom Warlord who was there, maybe he survived, and now you've got a real jumping off point for him, so it's okay. After he left Istvan, you know, then he ended up in Fall. Um, now, that might seem odd, because you're like, well, wait a minute, Alex, like, I only know about the Imperial Fists and the Iron Warriors at the Battle of Fall. Well, that's what we heard about from the Remembrancers, but that's not to say that you know, a splinter feet fleet escaping Istvan five didn't pick up on the Imperial fist signals and try to rendezvous with them. And you just didn't hear about them. So at any given phase, if you're playing against, if, if you're playing against an iron warriors and you're a blood angels player, you can choose which of the, um, theaters of war for that phase that you want to enter. Uh, and that, that actually reminds me of, of another sort of piece talking so much about fall, uh, in each phase, with the exception of the first phase, because I'm, I'm probably not going to have time to do it in the first phase, uh, which will be August. Um, I'll probably throw one to two weekends in where it'll be some major battle that we're familiar with, like, you know, Shadow over New Syria. And so if you play uh, a game in 500 Worlds or New Syria as the, the theater of war, then your campaign points will count for double for that weekend, as long as you get them in and submit it over the course of that weekend. And then you can sort of pick up, and I'm hoping it would just encourage more people to do things or run mini events, right? If you've got a group of six guys, you'd be like, hey, Shadow of New Series, like next weekend, you guys want to all meet up at Red Claw Gaming and, and you know, we'll, we'll play it out. Like I've got Ultramarines and so does Brady. And then, you know, you bring your word bearers and uh, Craig will bring his world eaters and, you know, we'll, we'll play two games each or whatever. And then we can each put in a, a bat rep uh, and then bang, you're done. You've contributed. You've got some stories. You've got some 
what I call TSN turning points, <laughs> you know, like the, the top 10 highlight reel. And then <laughs> bang, you're, you're done. You know where your Predator has been. You know what his story is. You know what he's doing. And eventually you'll learn his behavior and his, his personality type. And I've, I've seen this a handful of times, but I really like it. And I know uh, Sean's working on tactical and um, like personal objectives as well. So once those are done, I'll, I'll make those available for you. So I'll throw them in a pinned post uh, in the Facebook group. And then you can really start playing to your personality and start almost role-playing your commander down on the table. Right. So it's like, okay, As well, you should, yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, like, okay, this, this one, I, I use an example of a friend of mine that, uh, he was playing a game as Eidolon and he was playing against a player that was kind of coming from a more win first focus to a more like narrative first focus. And so he was like, he's like, okay, he's like your commander and his fire drakes are pretty nasty and they're out, but they're within range of Eidolon. If I was playing this to win, uh, he's like, it would make a lot more sense to go after that big blob of tactical squad. Cause I'll be able to wipe them out for sure. Especially with Eidolon and his, you know, add initiative hammer. Um, this is first edition. I don't know what Eidolon's rules look like, <laughs> um, but instead he's like, but Eidolon would see that commander and be like, I'm going to show him what's what I'm going to give him a what for and go after him. So instead he went after the commander, which cost him the game, which is a very much like Eidolon moment. <laughs> if you know Eidolon from the lore at all, he's constantly, uh, letting his pride come before his fall. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that's that's the gist of it. And if you're coming to an event, even if it's not my event, even if it's not LVO, you can still participate with one or all of the games from that event um, and input the scores and continue to see how it contributes. And then, you know, maybe we'll see history play out or future fake history play out exactly as we expect it to, or maybe we'll start seeing some differences. Like, you know, maybe the Sons of Horus break through the blockade of Chthonia. Um, and what does that mean? I don't know yet, but you know, I'm sure it'll start to get crazy as I come up with more ideas or people suggest them to me. So it sounds like why you've described it is it's run a lot like the old Games Workshop um, 13th Black Crusade, where people are submitting results and on certain points, there's admissions being held in certain locations, which give you bonuses. So it encourages you to play in those locations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And so you, you, you can always, I'll put a little space for other, because maybe, maybe you've got, you know, um, I don't know the segmentum Montrealis or something and all of your games want to be posited in there because, um, you know, Montreal is a cool place and you want to see it. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I've been trying, I I tried to go to the uh, Montreal meetings in September, but they're making me go to the Western ones. (laughs) That sucks. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I was like Montreal, you say. Um, but uh, our new our new VP is in Montreal, so I'm sure I'll be around a lot more. But uh, and if if anyone does go to Montreal, a lot of a lot of good food, a lot of places. I went to the Bordello last time I was there, um, which was uh, really good. But and maybe not the wisest choice for someone to plan us to do a work event at. But <laughs> it's it pretty good uh, i'll tell you about that one after um but yeah sorry darren i, I got way into the weeds uh yeah it very much is like the 13th black crusade and there, there'll be bonus weekends to play in certain areas uh to influence major events that we know about and see what comes out of it um and uh it's yeah it, I, i'm trying to do this in a way that 
I can functionally make happen because, you know, I don't have the time or the resources to do a lot of web coding. So it's not going to be everything that I wish it could be, which would be like, you know, a fully interactive, um, you know, almost real time map uh, that would collate the results and then just input them. So instead it's, uh, it's going to have to be a little more manual on my side, which is also fine. Cause I need to practice with Photoshop anyway. So, <laughs> so how long is each campaign round? You, you said the first one's August. Is it going to run monthly all the way up to Adepticon next year? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that, that's, that's the plan. I'm going to, I was actually in the process of double checking through the, uh, uh, what's it called timeline in the rule book. Uh, and from what it looks like is I, I can probably do it realistically in, in, you know, of the five months, uh, or not the five months span, sorry, but the seven month span between now and, and Adepticon. Um, so, you know, the very final phase will be the phase at Adepticon, which we play out the fate of beta Garmin. Um, and obviously that would bring us right up till the siege of Terra more or less. So that'll take and beta Garmin's a long campaign. It's not small, right? It's three years. Um, but, uh, you know, within that we'll see, uh, le leading up to beta Garmin, you know, we'll have like the final phase, for example, we have like the cataclysm of iron and the Lauren alpha campaign and the wolf call at Urant. um, you know, all, all those sort of, uh, sort of incidences. Um, you know, and then in February, you know, we'll do like the death of Talern and the duel of Moloch and the siege of Inwit. Do they have to be um, Heresy games or can they be AT games as well? Because obviously Beta Garmin is the Titan death. So mm -hmm. obviously in that final phase, you, you'd expect to see a lot of Titan battles going in. That's right. And so I was hoping you'd ask me that question because it absolutely you can play. So if you go to the Google forum, uh, which you can't right now, but by the time this comes out, you'll be able to, uh, you'll actually see that I have um, uh, faction entries for the Legio Titanicus and the Imperial Knights. So if you do play, if you're like, hey, Alex, uh, I don't play Heresy because um, I'm a Titanicus elite. Uh, and that's the only thing I want to play. Um, then, yeah, absolutely. Jump in, do that. Uh, what, what about BFG? BFG I didn't put in, but uh, realistically, if you're playing, you could, and I would never know it. Because you, you, know, like you have all the faction options of the Imperial Army slash Solar Auxilias. Um, slash Mechanicum slash all of the Astartes legions. So you could play BFG absolutely and submit it and I would still count the score. Excellent. Sounds really good. I'm, I'm hoping to get a few more games in over this summer as well and into going into the autumn. So I'll also be contributing a few results. Um, is there a prize at the end like Memento Mori gets passed on to the person? You get to hey, no, that's mine. That's my blade. <laughs> um, uh, I'll we'll get it we'll, back one day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, there there will be prizes at the fate of Beta Garmin. So that's that's a good question. I, I'd love to see what we can get if I can maybe get some inspired folks to put together, you know, like a big care prize or something. I don't know, maybe a bunch of podcast swag or something from the collection of us, or yeah, or you know, maybe maybe I'll make. Uh, Maybe I'll make like a little bespoke thunder hammer or something. Uh, it's like in Paragon one hand. Blade. Paragon blades are rewards to get out, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm just thinking like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know where I was thinking with that actually, but just thinking like the cracking of Beta Garmin. <laughs> like it, it, it sounds really good. Really, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> 
I, um, I really, really like the idea of of helping people build uh, the narrative of their own praetors. Because uh, that, that's the other thing that we realized last DevCon is how much everybody, you know, loves their their custom praetor. And and hopefully uh, this will give everybody enough uh, backstory and, and uh, narrative that they can uh, throw down at the next uh, Praetor Wrestling uh, competition. Yeah, and that's uh, that's been another huge motivating factor uh, <laughs> for creating this because I was like, damn, you know, I know everything about Gareth Arenda and where he's been. I was like, but if I show up with Kasperion, I'm going to have absolutely no goddamn idea what I'm going to say, and I'm just going to come off sounding like a Mary Sue. Oh yeah, he's won every duel that he's ever fought, and even though he's missing a leg. Um, <laughs> At least he's not missing a paragon blade. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I'll bring you a backup one. I'll Excellent. Forge it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I have two versions of my sword, so you're pretty uh, pretty frequently slapping me around, so you can steal one of uh, one of Kasperion's blades. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Oh, no, this sounds like a, a fantastic, uh, a fantastic idea for for the community. Um, um, again, I don't think any, I, I think everybody approached the game this way, but I think uh, a, a lot of us um, still approach it almost like a rogue trader era, somewhat role playing game, right? We 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 do tend to put a lot of effort and a lot of care into the character, uh, the, the the leader, the war leader on the tabletop that's kind of representing us. And and having this opportunity to sort of build that background, especially for new players, I think it's I think it's great. It's a great idea. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was just going to say, traditionally the community has always done this, but we've also had recently a large influx of people, and this is just a good way to signpost how the majority of games in the heresy community are played. Obviously, that's not all. There are some people who go for a really hard tournament style games, which is perfectly fine. But for new people coming in, this is a really good hook to get people on how to build their characters and demonstrate how the heresy community has played over the last 10 years. Yeah, exactly. It's not saying that like, hey, this is this is the you know the right way to play heresy or um whatever, but it, it's a way for well, I mean, you, you you hit the nail on the head. I don't need to echo you. Yeah, it's uh it's it's just what I would like to have people at least give it a try before you knock it. Um, but if you don't want to, it's fine, you know, yeah. and, and you can, you can even start and go, you know what? I don't like this. This isn't it for me. I want to play tournament style. Great. There's uh, no right way. Know. Yeah. And uh, there's no, the game. and there's no hard commitment, right? I'm not charging you money to get into it. I'm not. No, let's face it. Games Workshop does that enough for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's just a, Hey, it's here. If you want to do it, a few of us are going to do it. And then, you know, that's, that's where you can get really cool shit. Like JP, if we make it to Scandus, like we can start recording our games from Scandus even. And it's like, well, I don't know. Some warp fuckery dumped us out on the other side of the galaxy. And we ended up fighting all these guys. Sweet. Um, you know, and we can put, we could put one game in from the weekend or all of them in, uh, you know, or anything in between or none of them. If, you know, we don't make any good notes cause we left them on, you know, like the inside of a Miller light box. Um, as one does. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's, uh, it's just, it's there if we want to do it. And, um, I, I know we've got a few folks that are already like really jazzed up and they're already starting to put posts in of like, this is my, this is my Praetor and this is what he's about. And this is where he's going to be. This is where he's going to be heading. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm excited for it. Excellent. Now, uh, just let us know, um, once again, 
uh, real quick, uh, where we can find, uh, I guess, the Facebook group, where, it can f- where we can find the form and everything? Yeah, so the form will be pinned on the Facebook group, um, and I'm going to kind of recreate the form uh, every phase, um, and then it'll be pinned to the top. Um, so you'll be able to go in and start. And let's say you join late, um, you can always search down through, find the old form from phase one, start there at your own pace, really. Um, it'll allow you to still uh, you know, create the story, but I, I won't collate any uh, additional results after I've sort of quote unquote ended the phase. Um, but you'll still be able to go find the post, see who fought where, who did what. And, and, and the, name of the, uh, the name of the Facebook group? is uh, the push for beta Garmin. Excellent. And that'll be in the show notes uh, for the episode. It is the push for beta Garmin, but the hashtag is just hashtag push for beta Garmin. Excellent. It's a wonderful initiative. I I look forward to participating in it. Uh, Let's go into, I guess, our 10 favorite changes uh, in the new edition. Number nine will surprise you. Here we go with the strategy and then, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about our favourite changes to the new Age of Darkness rules. And we are doing these as our favourite changes. As JP mentioned in the intro, we're not doing a blow-by-blow account of all the changes from version one to version two. That material is out there. If you're really that interested, loads of other podcasts have done it. There's material up online. Uh, Garrow on Facebook has done some really good posts on this previously. Go look those guys up. We're talking through the rules that we think make the biggest changes either for positivity in the game or the biggest impact on, I dislike using the term meta, but how the game plays. Now, obviously, we're coming at this from our perspective. You're bound to have your own favourite changes in the game, and we'd love to hear them. So underneath on the episode thread, put up your ideas. What are your favourite changes in there as well? so apparently, JP, you want me to start with some of mine. You're going to jump in. And Alex, who's still with us, is going to contribute some bits as well. So let's get underway. So these are in no particular order. Number one is not my my, my favourite absolute change. Number 10 is very kind of a nah. Number nine is not that exciting. Um, however, I think one of the, the changes which I think is in massively upbeat for the game and has made a significant impact are dreadnought profiles we've been screaming for these for years if you look listen back to previous episodes how often have you we heard complain about well automata have profiles and in previous versions of 40k well tau battle suits have had profiles greater demons got profiles where my dreads got vehicle profiles and get knocked out by the last cannon on the first turn of the game um it has swung them very strongly in the other direction. I don't know what you guys have found on games or bat reps, but dreadnoughts now are really poking. You have to plan to deal with them. Whereas before it was, uh, I'll fire some missile launchers or something into them and knock them out. Now you really have to have a plan ready to deal with dreadnoughts because their power level has gone up. And rightly so. They now match the law and the narrative. Something which we're going to come back to in Old Earth, funny enough, because there's a scene in there with a contemptor that really shows what these guys can do. Yeah, I had I had this guy on my list too. Uh, that was number two on my list. Um, we've been complaining about it incessantly. It made no sense that Castellax had a, a, a regular profile and that uh, dreads were vehicles. Um, this makes them so much more survivable. Uh, so uh, it, it makes you want to take them. I have a friend who was running a Fury of the Ancients um, 
list with the old rules, uh, which was impossible to win. <laughs> There's just no way to win that game because um, you were giving up uh, victory points for every, uh, every dread that would be destroyed. And he was using mainly box dreads. Um, great change. Uh, it just makes it more like consistent with, with Castle X. It made no sense that those are two different sets of rules. Uh, it's amazing how many people are now running Fear of the Ancients lists. Now that's what I'm going to say. Um, yeah, and wow. it's not just Contemptor. The, the little box dreads, which we've had in a recent Legacy um, article as well, Legacy PDF, they're pretty good. There's, there's some, you can do some interesting th- stuff with the box dreads in the game. Alex, what yeah. do you think about Dreadnoughts? Uh, I'm excited about it. Um, I've I've always loved Dreadnoughts, but being Ravenguard and just with the general play style I was going with, you know, I, I never liked the one dreadnought in one pod kind of thing. Uh, so I, I never ended up really running my contentor that I had. Um, but running day of revelation, uh, I, I really kind of saw an opportunity to take some dreadnoughts. And so I kind of substituted my vehicles for dreadnoughts. Um, so I don't have, you know, any land raiders or any tanks or anything in, in my core list. Um, but I did take three of the box knots, uh, because to your point, you can do some really interesting things. Um, I don't think in, in my experience, the contemptor has been fair. Like it's, it's been right where I feel it should be. It hasn't felt as nasty. Um, you know, I, pl- I played the one game with my Raven guard contemptor and it fought, you know, a squad of, uh, five cataphractii terminators and, uh, I, I think there was either either there was one of them left or he left with one whole point uh, or one health point um, to continue to trundle along before he got shot and detonated. Um, I, I played a couple games against them. And uh, in one of them, uh, rending is really your friend against these guys. Um, I, I deep struck in. I wasn't playing Day of Revelation in this particular game. I, it was a smaller game, 750 points or whatever. And I deep struck my Crimson Paladins and then charged them in. And the Crimson Paladins uh, actually made it all the way through, I think, three rounds of combat with them until eventually they like ground them down uh, and killed the Contemptor. And then they find I finally lost two of them when the Contemptor exploded. Um, and then, you uh, know, in, in another game where I went up against them, I actually like trundled my little box knot towards it, uh, which I have built in the old like original blood angels furioso pattern so like a multi melt on one arm and then a storm bolter with like a grabby fist on the other arm and they're slow right the box knots only like movement six it has the heavy profile so it can't run it can't sweep it's initiative two but he trundled over there and he actually like beat the crap out of that contemptor and then trundled away uh, to go help my contemptor that I had in that game, uh, who was getting his ass beat by a squad of Loctaris uh, with a Praetor in it. And then um, that squad of Loctaris was still able to actually beat both the Box Knot and the Contemptor uh, in close combat. So they're they're good, they, but they feel right where they should be. But as I kind of pick up on what you're insinuating, it's like anything, it's really good, but if you take too much of it, then it's probably not something someone's going to want to play a second time. It's still like an overdue change. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 excited about this one. It seems obvious. Yeah, I'm not at all upset about it. Um, I I actually really like it, and I'm having a lot of fun with with the dreadnoughts. Yep. The other two in that uh, little talent of three baby baby knots is uh, 
one has double auto cannons <laughs> just kind of walks around as also, like a baby Daredevil. just generally dreadnoughts are just it's so it's such a classic piece of the universe um that anything to encourage people to use them not that they were not being used at all but everybody knew their their problems right anything mm-hmm. to, to to get people to use uh, um, uh dreadnoughts in their armies i mean i'm down with so yeah excellent change 100 yeah. with you uh there darren i'm aligned going back to the dreads very quickly i think at the moment obviously we've only seen them play against Stasi's forces i think it'll be very interesting how they compare against things like custodies demons of a ruined storm um against imperial army because one there's a lovely little line i don't know if you guys picked up on it under the um the dreadnought um unit type where it mentions about mem- p- um, units in the imperial army running dreadnoughts so they're not just restricted to the astartes oh i did and that makes me so excited for a potential yeah. like unification wars thing like yeah. i may or may not um have some converted thunder warriors that I would love to see do some yeah. stuff. Well, and also, if you go back to your three original profiles of Dreadnoughts in uh, Road Trader, we've only had models for two of those updated with Contemptor and Vidurideo. We've still got one version left. So are they saving that through the Imperial Army? What, what was the third version? Excuse, um, excuse my nubility, but... Oh, oh, my book's hidden away. It's it's a nickname of Chucky, isn't it? Um, or is it Fury Bender, Benders? Yeah, that's the one. It's for Fear of I was going to say Furioso, so, but that wasn't it. Yeah, the, yeah, it's Fear of Bendis. Yeah. So it'd be interesting Fear if that comes out to mm. speculation here. Anyway, let's move on to the second yeah. one. Number two. The second one I picked out was Reactions. Because Reactions have made a massive change to the game and a huge, huge benefit. You really have to pay attention in your opponent's part of the game now, and you're actively involved. And this is something we've been screaming for in Games Workshop style of play for ages. I mean, Titanicus is a good example where it gets away from the I go, you go. It's much more interactive. Necromunda is another example. And I like how they've compromised on Age of Darkness to get these reactions in. I like how they're limited in their scope, so you can't do everything you want to do, but you can react now do they are they perfect i'm not convinced they are i don't think they scale particularly well i would have liked to have seen something a bit more like stratagems in titanicus where you get a set number depending on the size of your game so they have limited impacts but you have to be involved at every phase of your opponent's turn and that makes me much more engaged how many times have we been involved in games where our opponent has had time to go off make a cup of tea more coffee come back have a beer is sitting around chatting to their friends and just is removing their models as you're doing things to them. Now, reactions allow you to do things. And by having army-specific, at the moment it's legion-specific, although we have seen um, previews on Warcom for the Mechanicum um, advanced reactions as well, so we can assume custodians will get them, demons will get them as well, very likely, militia, army. So I think they just add an extra layer to the game which makes it so much much more of a shared experience as opposed to mm. you're playing against someone absolutely i also like that overwatch has been turned into a reaction overwatch is better now but you don't use it every time which i really like mm-hmm. um Sonega, which makes it feel more like the old overwatch i think you have to like pick and choose instead of like an automatic thing you have to have 
well, the old Overwatch, you'd actually have to like, put a unit onto Overwatch, but it was an active decision to use Overwatch as opposed to in the last edition where Overwatch is something that you did before the, the, the assault phase. And frankly, like 99 times out of 100 didn't do anything. Yeah, it, reactions have added a lot more tactics to the game, haven't they? So like, you know one point in your shooting phase, you're going to have return fire coming at you. So do you start off your big weapons or do you tease it out? Do you try to lure traps and save yeah. them for movements? The shooting reactions to me seem the very obvious ones to use. I think there's a lot more play in the movement reactions. And I think a good player, a bit like Titanicus, where Titanicus, where Titanicus is won or lost in the movement phase, I think a good player who uses their movement reactions is going to get a lot more utility out of their army than someone who's relying on shooting reactions. Yeah, uh, I, I really, really like it. It's probably my favorite my favorite part of the the changes to the rule set. Um, but I, I really, really like how you express that, Darren, is that it's a shared experience now. And it, it very much is. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm in love with them. I can't say enough good things about them. Yeah. So I agree. Re- reactions weren't on my list because I thought it was too obvious because <laughs> it is the biggest, it, this is the biggest change. There's like, I don't think there's any question about that. It, it, it will change the way, or it has already changed the way that we play the game. We look at the game. We think about it. I think it's brilliant. Um, I didn't put it on my list though, again. So the Sorry. next one, and this is, this is where I'll start to get a little controversial. So we're going to see, see how you guys react to this. Um, weapon profiles. Now, I know this kind of touches on Liber uh, Astartes uh, rules or the Liber Hereticus rules, but it is also a fundamental part of the game. And one of the things I really like is how there is less AP3 in the game. Um, I, I know a lot of people... that. Yeah, I know a lot of people have complained, particularly with the artillery, things like Basilisk, Medusa, Battle Cannon, Demolisher Cannons, etc., that, oh, they've, they've reduced in their AP, so most of them are now AP4. Imperial Army screwed. Mechanicum is going to be screwed. But for Astartes, having this AP3 was brilliant. I, I think it's much better. It puts more emphasis on those units. It puts more emphasis on power armor being able to survive things and narratively fit. I mean, realistically, in some of the games in version one, it didn't make a difference if you had armor four or armor three because the bigger weapons of the game neutralized armor three upwards. So it made no difference. But as a counterpoint to that, I also like how much breaching has been added. So AP2 is around, but it's less consistent. You have to put your troops into much riskier positions. An obvious example is um, plasma weaponry. But you've also got things like the Sons of Horus axes, which are breaching five. You've got other weapons out there, like most of the power weapons now are well, rending uh, rending six for example so there's still quite a lot of ap2 out there but it's less reliable but because you have that opportunity you're more willing to throw your units into t- situations where they may pay off the amount of people i've now seen building for example terminator units with twin lightning claws whereas you never saw that in version one but because lightning claws now have a breaching rule people are more light or rending rule i should say they're more likely to try to put those in and try to get the attacks so i like just to summarize the fact there is less ap3 in the game because it re-emphasizes the role of the astartes but i like the fact there is a lot of breaching and a lot of rending in the game to keep that risk for power armor and terminator play in the game 
Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm right there with you, actually. And it, it makes me think back to what you mentioned about Dreadnoughts. Like, they feel like they should in the lore now. And this small change makes Astartes feel like they are in the lore. I don't know. That's my take on it. JP? I did not have this on my list either. Um, but having power armor actually being useful armor... Um, is a huge change. Now, admittedly, you make a good point. My militia's kind of screwed now uh, because I kind of relied on battle cannons to uh, to deal with uh, with Astartes. But you know what? At the same time, when you play militia, you, you know you're probably going to lose. It was never made to be a competitive army. But I think from I think from Imperial Army, we're going to see a lot of other utility coming in. I think we're going to oh, see, I hope so. for example, pinning weapons, which is something I'm going to come on to very shortly. Um, so I think Imperial Militia and Imperial Army are going to have a tougher job, but I think they're going to have tools to limit what the Astartes can do. Mm. It'll be interesting to see what they come out with. I just hope that we have Rough Riders. That's that's mine. Oh, don't, don't. I just... Please! Yeah. Uh, All we man, want I, is Rough Riders. All I want is a cavalry charger with hunting lances. Oh, God I, I want a, I want a Cadian version of that. I don't know if you've seen those juicy new leaks for uh, the new, like, Kazarkin and regular yeah. Cadians, but yeah, they look fantastic. Yeah. If they come out with those and uh, I don't know, like a plastic thalax, I'm going to have to sell my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, plastic, plastic rough riders are going to tip me over edge. Um, right. So number three, the next one. do it. Uh, that was number three. Oh, uh, sorry. Number, number four, four, number four. Um, something for the assault armies, which is higher weapon skill being more important. Finally, mm-hmm. we get back to more what it was in Rogue Trader, where if you had a higher weapon skill in assault, you had such a bigger advantage. And even just having something like one weapon skill higher than your opponent has a huge impact on assault. Now, as long-term listeners know, I've played, um, I'm a long-term elder player against my friends, Dark Angels. And I can tell you the challenge of having to wound something which is one step above you, or hit something which is one step above you. When your dice roll goes from a four to a five, and their dice roll is going from a four to a three, that gap is huge in the game. It doesn't seem much when you read on paper. But when you're in game now, having weapon skill five assault troops against weapon skill four standard line troops means your close combat troops are going to come out stronger in that assault. Especially when you consider they're also likely to have the small specialist assault weaponry, power weapons, um, specialist assault weapons like the caster and axe, for example, or the some of the word bearer tainted weapons. It pays off even more strongly. So I love the fact they've rebalanced, perhaps when I say rebalanced in the correct way, they've re-emphasized you want your good assault troops with a good weapon skill that has to be higher than your opponents to really capitalize on that sudden strike you've got in. You've, you've got across the board, you've got into the enemy troops, here's your reward. You're finding it easier to hit, you're going to find it more difficult to be hit back so your troops are more survivable. Yeah, uh, I, can, I can agree with that one. I've definitely, I learned that one the hard way against those Loctaris. Uh, I was like, I'm going to charge you with like two tactical squads. That'll sort you. Did not sort. I was sorted. Did not sort them. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was in turn sorted. Um, 
and uh, yeah so eight... with Loctara doing the classic why are you hitting yourself why are you hitting yourself yeah well especially uh because the the player was really he was he was really skilled um and uh i loved his army feel too it felt very ultramarine-ish um but uh he knew i was going to charge him that round and he activated like plus one weapon skill but i was like man i'm blood angels and i'm like plus one to wound and i got all these bayonets of various type i was like you're not gonna be able to weather this and then he was just like yeah uh, good job killing one guy look looking at my specialist units like my just staring at my reavers the fact they're both weapon skill five it just puts them into a completely different category yeah um yeah they're, they're, they're phenomenal i think higher weapon skill and then you look at primarchs where they're like weapon skill sevens and eights and they're just going to absolutely brutalize whatever they're going into for combat. And the same we've seen with Contemptors as well. Weapon Skill 6 makes mm-hmm. such a difference. So, JP, did you have this one on your list? This was not on my list. I think it's a fantastic point, though. Um, it, it's fun that Weapon Skill... Because in the old tables, Weapon Skill... I mean, unless you had double the Weapon Skill, right? You're still like hitting on threes at the most. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, and it's low, like, Weapon Skill yeah, even if you had double the weapon skill, you were still hitting on three on the lowest. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, three yeah, was the yeah. lowest you could hit on. That's right. See how well I remember the table? Yeah. I played hundreds of games. I don't remember any of it. Um, yeah, this conscript with like his bayonet, who literally has never held a rifle before yesterday, still like the Primark can still, still hit, hit him on, on a three plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know this is a, this is a great change. Um, it's fun that weapon skill is one of the, cause it, it, it always felt like one of the, the weak stats when I was playing the Heliferian campaign uh, with Mark and uh, we would be rolling on the, um, on the conquest uh, sort of character advancement table. And man, when you got plus one weapon skills, like, ah, oh, come on. Everybody's trying to hunt for that plus one toughness, right? Or plus one strength even. Yeah. But like what, Plus one weapon skill or plus plus one ballistic skill. I mean, come on. That's oh, I just thought that if a conquest doing the campaign of conquest, everyone's gonna be screaming for either plus one toughness or plus one weapon skill now. Yeah, those, those are the new hot stats. No, but it shouldn't. Uh, it should never. Weapon skill should never have been sort of the booby prize of that tape, <laughs> right? So this is great. I, I I think it's making weapon skill meaningful again. Huge change. That that's a good call. All right, what do we have for number five on your table, right. Darren? Another controversial one. I like the fact that we've got lower leadership on units. And I know it was a big shock when we first saw the lever books and we went, hang on, standard Astartes is leadership seven. However, what I think this does for the game is it makes those leadership checks now so much more important. I mean, how many times in version one were we playing a game and you hardly ever failed a leadership check? Ignoring close combat, when obviously its leadership is reduced with the wounds. We're talking about your standard morale checks, your pinning checks, fear checks. How many times did they get just get passed and you didn't even think about it? I so, would often just forget to do them completely. Someone like, of course, I was playing Iron Warriors, so usually you didn't have to make them anyway. But yeah, I would I would frequently forget uh, leadership checks for for wounds and in, in, in shooting attacks. But now in version two, where things like morale is reasonably important as always but things like pinning checks fear checks which are going to have such a bigger impact on the game and what i think it also does is you can't tank the wounds on your sergeant as much because your sergeant has that extra pip of leadership 
Mm. And you want that. You want to keep that leadership high to protect you for morale, pinning, fear checks, etc. So if you have your sergeant in artificial armour and you're allocating all your wounds onto him and he goes down, well, then suddenly you've lost your sergeant, so you've lost your ability to challenge, and you've lost your higher leadership. So it really makes you consider your wound allocation that much more much more carefully rather than just going like version one, I'm going to tank everything on my two plus artificial armor and bounce everything. So I like the fact that leadership is generally re- reduced and it links into one of my later points as well, that it makes more elite units feel elite when they have those leaderships of eights or nines. We've seen some of the real high class quality elite units like just there in siege tyrants. Um, there's one for the ultramarines as well. The ones with the, um, Begin with an S. Uh, suzerain. Suzerain as well. Yeah. So what do you guys think about loaded leadership? Or is this controversial point not as controversial as I thought? I think that it makes a huge change. Um, I don't know if it's controversial. I barely noticed it. But um, it, again, one of the major things that differentiates Astartes in 30K with Astartes in 40K is you don't have... Um, it's been so long since I played 40 games. And the they fuck? shall know no fear. And they shall know no fear. Yeah, that's the that, that, that's which is probably the best rule in the history of the game. And the fact that you don't have that like changes things so completely. And, and now making uh, leadership so much a more important part of the game uh, is uh, I th- I think that is a massive change. I, I think it'll make things more fluid. And a lot of people were incredibly disappointed by the fact that they didn't change wound allocation enough to get rid of the sergeant tanking tactic, which everybody does, you know, the sergeant with, with, um, with artificer armor. And, and Darren, I think you made a good point. It's that you might not want to do it as much. And that might've been good enough. So I, I actually don't take artificer armor on my sergeants in this edition for kind of that reason. Like I, I don't want to be tanking on them because I want their higher leadership. Uh, And I've always kind of wanted them to hang around, but I really like the wound allocation. And I mean, maybe that's coming up as one of the future ones uh, because now, like I always wanted to have my surgeon out front because it looks cool. Um, Like, you know, leading from the front, the guy with the sword in his arm, like charging out front, like looks awesome. Um, But you couldn't do that in version one because then your surgeon's like the first one to go. Um, So I actually, I I just saved myself the points in the artificer armor um, because a good chunk of the time anyway, I find them running up against guys with power fists. So yeah. I'm kind of like, why, why am I paying the 10 points for it every time when it's not coming in handy that much? But that was just me. Like I, you know, and, and how I was playing with it, but yeah, I, I don't know. I like the leadership change though. Uh, and I, I, it doesn't feel like it's weird to me because it just feels like it's everything else in a different scale. Right. Like 40 K I mean, you know, a chapter is like a thousand space Marines. Clearly every engagement was kind of designed to be smaller. So if you're in a smaller engagement, like, you know, say kill team or something, um, then it would make sense that they would have crazy high leadership because they're going to be pretty confident in themselves. Plus in 40 K you've got all that religious dogma, like jazzing everybody's leadership up um, or, you know, increasing their foolishness in the face of a battle maybe there's less helmets in 40k i don't know (laughs) Um, and but in 30k like the marines still very much felt human like even in the in the books and in the lore right they still very much seem human-esque 
and having a you know a, a mind to be like hey maybe we should fuck off and run uh makes a lot of sense um, it's know. called a tactical withdrawal yeah sorry uh, i didn't know position. you knew that word as a iron warriors player <laughs> we didn't yeah well again the iron warriors got kind of like screwed with the new rules but then again we had the best rule in the game so losing it isn't the end of the world but i'm gonna have to start paying, uh, paying attention to leadership checks which is going to be a huge change in the way i play the game it's a whole it's a whole new concept just give them a new rule like Perturabo's tally or whatever it's called <laughs> you get victory points for how many of your own units die yeah um or just you know like commissar style, like yeah, just kill like one guy and you can just pass. The oh track. man, I wish I, I wish the iron that that would be cool if the iron workers had a commissar uh, a sort of rule that that actually would make a lot of sense. Um, but anyways, yeah, um, legion specific vexilla. Again, you shouldn't have to worry about discipline because if you break, well, Perturabo is going to have you shot at the end. Um, <laughs> but anyways, um, I think this is a huge change. Uh, I think Darren, uh, this this is a really good point. What's your next one? Uh, psychics. Yeah, I, I had that on my list. I had that on yeah. my list. Yeah. So I love the fact they're now more embedded in the game. You, you're not sitting around for a phase, potentially 20 of thumbs or someone is throwing dice at you and you're not doing anything. It's got a much more natural feel to the role of psychics in game. Either they're happening in your movement phase to protect you or to give you shelter or they're a shooting attack or they're making you better in assault. Um, from what I've seen as well, they seem less binary than they were before. Either the, the effects are much more subtle, especially as a lot of the psychic powers now have one effect if you just, or a fairly minor effect if you don't want to take a psychic test, and then a better effect if you do take a psychic test. And the fact is now streamlined that if you peril, it's just D3 wounds on your unit. That's it. There's no additional table to roll on that you don't get any like fancy effects the fact once again it's all based on leadership makes that leadership score a lot better as well i've got an upcoming game against thousand suns player um so i'm quite looking forward to seeing how that's going to translate when you have a whole army of psychers in that um but certainly from what i've seen of the game so far and what i've heard from other people who've, who've played games it's more embedded it's less binary you don't feel like the opponent has a whole extra range of abilities that you don't have access to because where it's rolled in, it's just like shooting a different type of gun or having a different movement reaction, something along those lines. So I really like the changes to the psychics and force weapons are amazing now. The fact that they are just like power weapons, they have exactly the same stat line as power weapons, but then you can increase them through your force use so they can have double the strength which makes them much more dangerous against things like Dreadnoughts, Automata, some of the larger demons as well. Although against demons, they all cause instant death, which makes them horrifically scary for for demons of a ruined storm. So yeah, psychics, force (laughs) weapons. Yes, bring it on. I love it. Yeah, uh, I've definitely been considering uh, a a librarian for the Blood Angels. but if I do, I can't bust them out realistically until like pretty late, late in the heresy, pretty late in the push for beta Garmin. Uh, Go for the East we... Terrorist. Go for the yeah. East Terrorist. Yeah. Because I really like the fact that there is now a traitor East Terrorist and a loyalist East Terrorist. Yeah, that, a, that might be cool. Difference in the rule sets between them, which is really cool. 
dress him up as a warden. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a cool. different, just a psychic warden. Uh, I think I got one of those, um, you know, limited edition chaplain terminators laying around somewhere. <laughs> Might be a good option. Maul a perdition on him. Oh, that's like plus three with brutal two. I think that this is another one of those uh, giant changes and a necessary one because I feel that the psychic phase in uh, version one of the heresy was sort of a vestigial organ, right? From 7th edition 40k because only a few armies actually used it. So unless you're playing one of those armies and we're talking about Thousand Sons, Demons, Word Bearers, Word Bearers, maybe, Word bears didn't have that many li- librarians. Um, at the uh, mostly, this was a phase of the game where ninety percent of players weren't doing anything. As in, uh, this was the phase when something was done to you, and someone have to keep reminding you how the rules worked. What do I do? Uh, you roll, um, you roll two dice, or you roll one die, uh, and that's how many uh, sixes you could try to have to try to stop my iron arm or whatever. Um, it was never fun. It was never fun for anybody that wasn't the Thousand Suns player. And even the Thousand Suns players, I don't imagine they were having that much fun just trying to get the attention of their opponents <laughs> as they're trying to do shit, right? Yeah. Uh, or sit there and try to enjoy themselves through all the eye rolls yeah. of like, cool. All right. I took so another 13 bespoke models off the table. That was awesome. Yeah, that was fun. Um, that was glad, really cool. <laughs> I'm glad we came out. I'm, I'm glad we came out to play this game. No, uh, yeah. a necessary change. Necessary change because psychic is uh, the, the psychic phase is so much less important in 30k, and so few armies can actually use it. Um, having it there made no sense. Got rid of it. Brilliant. Love it. One of my favorite changes. It was definitely on my list. Darren, what's your next one? What are we up to? Seven? We're up to number seven. Scoring. Scoring. Glory. I love the f- yes units at score. The fact that now there's that emphasis on line troops, and when you look at all the units in the game, there's not that many units that have line. So, how many armies have you seen that have the two minimum sized tactical squads and then loads of elite units because they all had implacable advance under version one, so they're all counting as scoring units, yeah, and it didn't feel like a legion force. Well, now your line troops cannot be attacked. You cannot go for those minimum troops. You have to have a good number of line troops. So for me, there's two elements to this. One, in terms of the game, having less units at score re-emphasizes the importance of those units that can score. Because now you can't just go for a minimum number of those. You have to build an army really as those as your central core, as it should be, which leads me on to my second point, is because it fits narratively. The the core of your army should be tactical squads or recon squads or assault squads or breach squads, depending on the theme, general theme of your force, supported by elite forces, your veteran troops, your terminators, your automata, your vehicles. I know we don't like to compare real-world forces to um, to 30K or any type of sci-fi gaming, but realistically, when you look at any armed forces around the world, there's a reason why the majority of their regiments are standard 
troops and you only have a few units or few regiments which are elite level units because you need those grunts effectively. So for me, scoring is a good change. Having less units that now score, removing things from uh, the units that used to be able to score, like Terminators and Veteran Troops or a lot of Legion Specialist units, for me, it re-emphasises the importance of those back, those basic squads like tacticals, like assault squads, like breaches. And we've seen a lot more emphasis on things like recon units, for example. Sniper weapons are a big part of that, which is a whole other reason. But I really like the fact that narrative and rules are combining together now to create a bigger emphasis on those core basic traits. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's something I, I saw abused probably a lot more when I first started in 30k. Um, and I saw it more often in the Mechanicum. But um, yeah, I I mean, as someone who's even in my events, I traditionally tried to force people to put more boots on the ground, so to speak. This one I really like because um, I feel like I maybe have to force people a little bit less into you know a, a more sort of like black library cover style of army so yeah i'm, I'm happy about this one uh, and again it adds to the level of tactical depth which uh, much like reactions i think while this does have a list building component to it um i think you're going to see this combined with reactions i think you're going to see a lot more of player skill factor into how a game plays out over necessarily just their math skill. Another uh, great change. I think I think you um, I think you put it very well that there was just too many elite forces out there. Now, unfortunately, uh, this was never a, a, a problem for me because my Terminators never got implacable advance. <sighs> but uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I like the idea. I like the line rule. I even like the name of the line rule. I think it's a it, it's a good change. So no problem with that one. Um, it wasn't on my list, though, uh, surprisingly. I think it's a good, uh, but it's a good change. What do you have for number nine? Number eight. So um, I've called this one alternative deployments. So we're not talking about deployment maps because they really haven't changed. What I'm talking about is the options of things like deep strike assaults, outflanking assaults, um, subterranean assault, drop pod assault, if you're using certain rights of war. We've always had deep strike. But it was always very piecemeal. It was always like, oh, if I'm really lucky, my Terminator unit's going to drop over here or my Dreadnought drop pod is going to land over here. The same with outflanking. You could get an occasional unit that could outflank and, you you know, you were really limited about where they could come in from unless you had a combination of special rules. Now you can focus on this as a key element of your army. And there is a risk involved. There is still that risk involved. The risk is reduced, but there's still a massive gamble. If your opponent's brought the correct amount of war gear or can zone out certain areas where your troops could be dropping in, your masterpiece deep striking army or outflanking army could have massive problems. They could be shot as soon as the boots land on the floor. Your opponent could block off areas where they could land, although it is now easier to land your troops because... Unlike version one, where you had to land in a clump, now you can land spaced out a little bit more. You have more control over where those 
secondary units dropping after your initial unit has arrived. Same without flanking. You've got a little more limited control about where they come in, but it's still at a little bit of risk. And in fact, you can now charge from these alternative deployments as well. Your opponent has to consider has to consider that. Now, let's be honest, if you're coming up against something like a Blood Angels army or Imperial Fist is also quite a likely one as well. Night Lords is another good example. The chances are your opponent is going to have outflanking or deep strike of some sort. Very likely if they're Sun Horus as well. A, a lot of our forces do rely on that. And you can plan around it. But it's still high risk, but big gamble, but big rewards. And I love the fact this is baked into the core rules. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to see what the Black Shields get or what I can use to uh, abuse the alternative deployments. Because um, I was always trying to like deep strike my Ashen Claws. Um, and I like that there's a, lo- a lower risk because uh, I almost always seem to lose like a good chunk <laughs> or crash my drop pods or something. Um, yeah, I, I this, this is a good one. And again, adds to that tactical depth with including, you know, like outflanking assault. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's, it's a huge change. Um, I like it. Don't really, um, I don't remember the last time I used anything in outflank or in uh, deep strike. Although once I finally get my uh, night Lords going, uh, I probably will have a little bit more experience, Uh, but yeah, um, that's a great rule change. All right. So let's go to uh, Darren number nine. This is number nine, right? I I, I keep miscounting. Yeah, it's number nine. So what I put for this one is it's a combination of a lot of things we've talked about so far in that elite units now feel elite because either because they've got more wounds on their profile. I mean, standard veterans, a lot of legion specific units having two wounds on their profile is huge. They tend to have higher leadership as well, which really differentiates them from your standard line troops. They tend to have that combination of other special rules, for example, relentless. So you can shoot your bolters and charge in the same turn as well or they may have other rules that really fit in with their background especially legion specific units legion specific units seem to have a real good combination rules that exemplify the feeling of that legion in that unit itself dawnbreakers is a good example of those reavers just staring you can pick out a multitude of other units as well world eats a world eater units having all their rage bonuses stacking on top of each other and i think that's a combination of lots of things we see interacting so that higher leadership protects them from morale and pinning they tend to have higher weapon skill makes them better in assault as we discussed earlier um they tend to have access to those alternate deployments like deep strike or unit or dedicated transports that allow them to deep strike or outflank in some way as well so i love the fact that we now have a clear difference between your legion elite units and your standard line troops but you can't overemphasize your elite units because otherwise you won't have anything that scores or very limited units that will score yeah i don't think i have anything to add <laughs> i agree yeah i, I think agree it's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh very comprehensive Okay, cool. And then we'll finish off. And the last one is just kind of a a general kind of point, which I think shooting is now not better than assault. I think the balance between the two 
methods of killing your opponents is now much more even between the two. Huh. The fact that we've got movement profiles now means units are moving faster. The fact that when you charge, certainly the fast movement assault troops like jump packs get bonuses to their charge rolls so they can get into assault much quicker. The fact that even if your charge fails, you still move towards your opponent with that surge move. Shooting, the opponent has now got more control over wound allocation. So you're not always knocking off the best units or the best models in the game. You can think about how you're organising. Like Alex was saying earlier, he always likes to have his sergeant out the front. Well, now he can do that. The sergeant is more likely to have a better assault weaponry, for example. So he can now bring that into the assault much quicker. Cover saves are reduced. So, for example, with power armour, there's very little point having your troops with power armour in cover because the cover saves are so much lower than before that really there's no need for power armour to be in cover. So shooting is still good. Let, let's not get that. and you know, Let's not ignore that. Shooting is going to bring in morale checks. It can bring in pinning checks, which will slow down assault armies to a large degree. The shooting reactions are more powerful than the assault reactions are on a unit-by-unit basis. I, it just feels like they've got the balance between shooting and assault armies much better than they have done in previous editions or previous versions of 40k. Is it perfect? No, of course not. Absolutely, it's a war game. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. But the balance is better. Yeah, I mean, I, I can go. Um and yeah, I, I agree with you. And it actually kind of was something that I had on my list that we didn't talk about was like the change to the charge phase. That that was a huge one that I, I really liked. I, I It always bothered me that it was like, oh, um, I didn't fail my charge, but you can still shoot Overwatch at me and I just don't move. Like, I don't know. It never sat well with me, if that makes sense. You, you have um, been doubly punished, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and it just like yeah. As as I'm trying to play this, almost like a role playing game slash tabletop war game. At the same time, it just always bugged me because I'm like, these guys would at least like try to make it. Um, and then you know, if you didn't make the roll, but you still move towards them and you got shot at by Overwatch, then it's kind of like you know, all of the impacts from those bolt rounds slowed them down. They didn't make it, almost like charging through difficult terrain. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you. It does feel like each army kind of feels a little bit more like it should um, and a little more balanced. But the charge thing is something that I, I had specifically on my list. This is very interesting. Um, I was I was convinced that uh, the, that that our um, top ten favorite changes, or at least notable changes, would all be pretty much the same. But I count three of your. Uh, of your of of your changes that are on my list. Oh, there we go. So I I did say in the chat, didn't I, that there'd probably be less redundancy. Yeah, you went uh, you went on the B sides. Those are some B side changes. <laughs> All right. So I'll I'll, I'll quickly uh, go through some of the changes that I noted, and I'm assuming okay. these are going to be like uh, um, I guess uh, 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 more obvious ones, but I'd like to know what you guys think. First of all, my favorite change, the biggest thing for me. All Terminators now have two wounds. All Terminators now have two wounds. Huge. Mm, I'd expand on that. All veterans have two wounds. Yes. Yeah. I've I mean, been clamoring for this for years. Terminators were always way too vulnerable. Mine weren't. No, not yours or the Salamanders, <laughs> but mine were. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't even have my own for like all of first edition. <laughs> and, and now yours are based on mine. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah. No, it is good. It, it's, it's a I big like thing, it. isn't it? It's a big thing. Love it. Yeah, that was it something makes that you want to me. take. It's, it's like the change to dreads, which was on my list. Um, it makes you want to take them. And a lot of people weren't taking terminators because they're just it's too easy to kill them, except for like really specialized terminators like tyrants. Tyrants are always great. I'm not convinced they're better now because they lost split fire. But nonetheless, two wound terminators. Big change for me. Love it. Second one that wasn't on your list. Legionaries are fast now. Jesus. Mm. Um, the, the, the two major changes now they have mo- movement seven. And also, uh, when they run, they run their initiative instead of rolling a D6, which is always going to be a one in my experience. <laughs> like, they're, they're moving, you can move 11 inches with legionaries in one turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus your charge. That really shrinks the size of the battlefield. Can you charge after running in this edition? Oh, no. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was but like, nonetheless. Uh... You know what I mean? Sorry. 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 <laughs> like, yeah, that was, that, that yeah, was I got my, my hopes bad, up. But- <laughs> it's okay uh, but it'll be interesting won't it because does that mean a base human profile like imperial armor or imperial army are they going to be only base movement six to represent the fact that astartes are just that little bit faster i'm guessing so yeah i, I would assume so but then i think you'll also probably see some stuff in the mechanicum that's like movement five yes yeah i i agree castlax for example or um domitus it's just the return of the of the movement characteristic is huge. It makes things yeah. so much different. It, it adds so much variety. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, maybe even movement five for like regular humans. I could see because I just think yeah. about like that trailer that we've all watched like probably two thousand times each. Um, <laughs> and like I don't, I don't know why, but like my favorite part of that is when the Titan is walking, and you just see the Marines like legging it next to it. And you can really see how fast a space marine is in full power armor. Yep, transhuman dread. It's um, it, it, it affects mortal humans when they see a, a like a, an Astartes actually moving at full speed because nothing that big should be able to move so fast. Mm-hmm. You should have to take a fear check every time an Astartes is within twelve inches of a regular human. Honestly, well, is, is that going to be based into Imperial Army rules? I mean, it, it would make sense in the narrative, but I hope that they don't because my <laughs> my my goddamn militia suck enough as it is. You have to upgrade them to have last guns. <laughs> Such it is to be a man in the time of giants. JP. That is true. That is a good point. All right, here's the next one that I, I came. And this is a big one. War of Lies doesn't suck anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the the mission when you roll up uh, and you're like, oh man, because now. Now, no matter how well I play, I might just lose because of a shitty die roll. I've but, lost every time. <laughs> every oh, yeah, time I've played that game, I've lost. So for those that don't remember, uh, War of Lies is was always uh, the mission that you rolled up on a six. And every objective, you'd have to roll at the end of the game to see what the objective was actually worth. And that would decide the game. But if you rolled, I believe it's a six. Yeah. Um, then you'd lose D3 victory points. So it was like, it was worth negative victory points, which meant that you don't know if you want to take an objective or not take an objective or try to win on secondaries. But at the end of the day, like you could play a perfect game, take all the objectives and still lose because of shitty die rolls at the end. It was not fun. No one liked War of Lies. And now they changed it so that 
like all, all that none of them deduct victory points. The worst thing that can happen is one of your victory, uh, one of your objectives uh, could be worth no victory points. That's fine. Yeah. Great change. What do you guys think? Hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't think about it. I didn't think to look at the mission differences, but yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a good one. And uh, ambush now because of the alternate deployments and reactions, I feel like ambush doesn't suck anymore either. Just to add to that, like the deployment map. Oh yeah, um, which I always liked ambush anyway. But it's always ambush is always fun. Okay, so the next one I had on my list, and this is another one of those rules that I keep forgetting exists. Fear is great now, way better than before. Again, fear is one of those like rules that you know, playing Night Lords, it's like cool. We have fear. So it's like your trophies of judgment or whatever, and it's like okay, cool. It's like I'm gonna forget. I'm gonna forget about this when I charge. It never comes up. Now yeah. fear is nasty. Every everything within twelve inches now has minus two to leadership. Every enemy within twelve inches has minus two to leadership. That is brutal. Especially that means Marines are going to have leadership five. Well, it depends on the number in brackets after the fear. Yeah, sorry. So, yes, yes, yes. Um, so yeah, but I I agree. Fear, and the fact that fear has a range now, it's twelve inch radius. Oh, well. it is. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, radius now. Yeah, so all of a sudden, my transhuman dread suggestion doesn't sound so insane. Sorry, I was getting <laughs> confused with night fighting, but they stack. Yeah, night yeah, fighting they, they is everything has minus two leadership. Yeah, minus one. It's minus, minus one, one leadership. All right, well, when you combine that, but when you combine that with a fear, suddenly you're minus two. So yeah, night lords sorry. on the first turn or first couple of turns of the game of night fighting are truly terrifying. That that's the reason you do that's fear so dark. Brutal. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Fear is one of those rules that you forget about, and now suddenly you're not going to forget about it anymore. Yeah. Um, and it, it's certainly going to make Demons of Runestorm interesting because all demons come with the fear traits as well. Oh, oh, nasty. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of Marines running off the table in this edition. Bring your Vexillas, everybody. Yeah. Bring and go real meta with it and put them on banner poles. So the next one that wasn't on your list is, and this is, I think, really huge. Primarchs are no longer Lord of Wars. They're just Primarchs, which means you can take a Lord of War and a Primarch. Uh, but but it, it, all, it all depends on how many points the game is. So you have a maximum amount of um, a number of points uh, that you can spend on Lord of Wars and Primarchs together, depending on the size of the game. So if you have a 2,000-point game, you can have up to 500 points allowance to spend on Lord of Wars and Primarchs. But for larger games, this makes a lot of sense. I never understood why I can't take Perturabo and a Falcon. Now I can. I think that's really cool. Um, I, I, I hated having to cho- choose between the two. It re-emphasizes yeah. the role of Primark, doesn't it? I think yeah. that's that's the key. In, in, like you say, narratively, why couldn't I take the two things combined together? Um, and it also removes some of those issues, for example, where some of the Primarchs have got a Lord of War personal ride, like the Tormentor or Atius Dias. Exactly. It now, it now gets rid of some of those those problems, doesn't it? Yeah, I like that one. That's a good catch. I didn't notice that it had its own square on the... Uh... Yeah. And, and again, I think that this was an overdue change. Um, and again, this really marks um, this edition as being uh, different than the last one, um, or at least uh, different than 7th edition 40K. So huge change. Another one that I love, and this one is also fucking overdue. Land Raiders now have a transport capacity of 12, which means that you can put a goddamn character and an apothecary with your tactical squad or breachers. Rhinos it's do too. Ju- and yep. Drake Claws. 
Yeah. Oh, and Dread Claws, yeah. Uh, now, what this the regular used to be the pods? main difference between no, Imperial Guard and, and, and Marines in that Imperial Guard vehicles like Chimeras used to have transport capacity of 12, whereas Marines always had 10. But that was always annoying, especially in a universe that doesn't have Chimeras. Yeah. Uh, that gives me hope for the Aurochs. Oh, um, did they change, did not change the Aurochs? Oh, yeah, the Aurochs. That's, that's, that's yeah. yeah, it's militia. But anyways, I think that's a, that's a huge change. Now, you know, um, and, and again... This is, it feels like an overdue thing, but now I, I feel like using a land raider again because I never used my land raider because I couldn't take an apothecary or I couldn't put a character in the, in, in like my breacher squad. Love it. Mm-hmm. And this is my last thing that I noticed, which I very much liked. Cover is very much reduced in effectiveness, especially for vehicles. For example, they no longer get the automatically, the automatic four plus if they're uh, 25% of secured. Uh, a cover is typically five plus or even six plus. Instead of four plus, it's a much deadlier game now. Yeah, I like that one too. I think I only had one that you guys didn't cover, so we'll get to that after. But um, Darren, but thoughts on cover? Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, it puts Astartes out in the open where they should be, where power armor should be work, working. Uh, it means for the units that do need to rely on cover, like assuming Imperial Army will need to, that they can be hugging the cover because they are going to get benefits. Um, but it means you won't just have units sitting in cover rather than not moving. It, it mm. brings that tactical element out of it again, doesn't it? Because like last edition, everyone needed to hug cover because there was so much AP3 weapon templates, blast templates hanging around. Interesting. That's a good point. Now, cover is reduced. Weapon APs have been reduced so there's more emphasis for tactical movement again so alex um so we've been we, we've gone through our list you said that you had one thing that that wasn't on our list that wasn't covered mm-hmm. what do we yeah, miss but it ties to cover uh it, as a raven guard player uh cover was always my friend but i had a little extra to it which was shrouded and shrouded has now changed um so shrouded is now a damage mitigation role instead of just like a boost to your cover. So yeah, that's it. Like it, it, it makes, it makes Raven guard still slightly more valuable or, um, uh, you know, cause you'd get shrouded on certain parts of it. Um, and then your cover would go up by one and be like, okay, great. Like that's really valuable. But now that cover isn't as valuable. How do you make that work? And so shrouded is now damage mitigation. So if you fail your three plus, on your regular Raven Guard infantry, for example, then you get to roll a six plus to see if it's good. And if that if it's a character and they took Camellia line, then they get a plus one to that. So then it becomes a five plus for 10 points. Now you don't get, you can't stack your damage mitigation rolls, but it means that I can save points on things like Apothecaries. Because like, yeah, you know, I don't have a five plus damage mitigation roll, but I get a six plus because without spending the 45 points for an Apothecary. Mm. So yeah, shrouded. Shrouded was a, uh, and I guess just the change to damage mitigation rules in general, um, or the expansion thereof. That was that was one that I had. Thinking along that line, though, shroud bomb changes were cool because now you count your recon marines, which uh, everyone, you know, that's a hot take right now. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, as someone who's been taking recon marines literally for fucking years with <laughs> no. <laughs> them never doing anything 
uh, I'm really excited about it, but the shroud bombs also mean that they're like six inches further away. So you can, um, uh, so you can kind of, kind of protect them a little bit. Um, and, and it still warrants then taking like a minimum strength squad. So if you're a Raven guard player, you have a really good recon squad because I mean, they already had infiltrate, but now they count as being six inches further away for return fire. And you have a damage mitigation rule of six plus. So yeah, that was all I had on my list. That yeah, I, I agree. I think shrouding is much better than it was previously. It's also much more widely available now that because everyone gets access to the evade reaction. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Units like um, outriders and uh, I think jet bikes get shrouded if they run as well or boost in in their case. So I I like having that moved out from a bonus to cover to a specific damage mitigation role. I think that works much better um, because it makes it quite clear that certain weapons that ignore cover also ignore shrouded as well, like mm-hmm. template weapons. So there's that nice balance in there. So yeah, I, I agree. Having it more widely accessible, having it shift in its focus, yeah, it's a good change. Yeah, and it makes it feel like it made more sense too. Like, for example, with the blast templates, like you mentioned, like uh, you know before it'd be like okay cool they have like shrouded because they have camel cloaks and it's night fighting and they're in a building and you shoot like a seven inch pie plate at it which covers the entire building and you're just like he i'm too sneaky for you here's my two plus cover save even though you <laughs> nuked the building <laughs> yeah so yeah uh i mean it made it made recon squads and more Dathan's super survivable while night fighting was in effect. But other than that, it didn't, didn't really do anything. Cool. So that is all of our favorite changes then. So interesting. There's a few overlaps, but not masses of overlaps overall. Remember what we said at the start of this segment, if we haven't talked about one that you're particularly interested in, make sure you add it into the comments. Let us know what your, some of your changes are. Um, we talked about our legions last episode, our favorite changes this episode. Next episode, we'll be moving on to something a little bit more focused, I think. I, I can't remember exactly what we're going to be talking about in the next one, but it, we'll still be discussing the rules in a little bit more depth. Possibly rights of war we may be talking about in the next episode. Vulcan stood alone and felt the regard of the demons, for what else could they be but the beings his father had denied existed? Their fury pushed against him, gnawing at his resolve, not one essence, but a gestalt, threatening to overwhelm him and plunge him back into madness and rage. He thought of Istvan and the terrors wreaked upon his sons, of the betrayal by the hands of trusted brothers, of poor Ferris, a headless corpse lying in the blood of the massacre, of Kurs and the tortures he had inflicted, of Nemetor hung up like so much spoiled meat of the countless others slain and defiled, of a galaxy turned to ruin and death. Vulcan's grip tightened around Urjakul. He had yet to raise it but felt the urge to now. The demons aimed their blades towards him, their spear tips and swords poised to kill, but did not strike. Fury bade them murder, and yet also leashed them. A relentless pounding sensation throbbed in Vulcan's skull, demanding release. Is this how it is for you, poor brother? Poor Angron. Vulcan closed his eyes. Reason became fleeting. Instinct smothered it. Vulcan closed his eyes, but the anger in his bleak imaginings would not abate. A fierce hacked apart, his bloody effigy raised to a darkened sky. Of Perturabo and the cage he had fashioned. Of Caldera put to the flame. Of Numion 
and the sacrifice he made. Vulcan smiled, tears of grief streaming down his face. He let the hammer fall and heard the low chime of its head striking the ground. He did not fear death, he never had. His renewed immortality had yet to be proven after his apotheosis of fire. Perhaps it would be disproven now. He opened his eyes and took the fulgurite spear from his belt. It felt warm to the touch. Father, are you with me now? It took more than a hundred deaths to bring me to the brink of insanity before. He told the creatures, though they could not understand him. Vulcan saw a moment of hesitation, of panic. This is merely irksome. He lifted the fulgurite aloft and his would-be murderers watched it rise. They snarled at the captured glory of the anathema still bound within it. Realizing their abject failure, the creatures roared, turning their blades and spears upon the Primarch. But it was too late. Everything has a purpose. The demon horde vanished, eclipsed in a coruscating light. Alright, welcome back to Tales of Heresy. Uh, today's Tale of Heresy is the third part and the final part of our analysis of Old Earth by Nick Keim. Um, the final part of the Salamander's arc, I think we could say, and most definitely the best one. Uh, Darren, you've been knocking them out of the park with these. Do you have an efficient synopsis for the last part of Old Earth? Uh, oh, the end of a road. That's excellent. That is both literally and figuratively correct for several characters. Frankly, I think you're doing a great job. Um, okay, so um, we've been dividing our analysis into the three primary threads of uh, the storyline, which I think we can keep doing more or less, right? We can still keep doing it. Yeah. Two of them will merge. One does come to a sudden end. Yeah, more sudden than I thought. You want to start with that one? Yeah, because really the other two... Or actually, should we deal with Eldred first? Want to deal with Eldred first? Because it's Eldrat also shows up. I think I think we should do the Iron Hands first because Eldrat also because the two other ones kind of connect, and yeah, right, and, and the first one that. to end is the Iron Hands. Yes, they the Iron's the Iron Hands arc ends. Yeah, in fact, you might almost you, you might also kind of point out it loses its head along the way. Why why do you do things like these like this? It makes people sad, is what it does. Um, also, we should know that Alex is not. <laughs> we we, did, we gave him no advance notice yeah. <laughs> about, about coming on board to replace Miles, and so he has not actually read this book. So he will be uh, along for the ride to make side comments with yeah. no actual knowledge <laughs> yeah. of the book. I, I listened to part one because <laughs> I haven't listened. I haven't finished your most recent episode, uh, so I heard part one from you guys. But uh, yeah, I haven't read the book, so. Let's, just, let's, like, let's chirp in let, let, yeah, <laughs> when just, I have something funny to say. Just be like Myers. So yeah. um, we left the Iron Hands with planning a major offensive against the Sons of Horus. They'd sprung a previous trap and realised that they'd taken bait. Um, and Medusa wants revenge for that. We need to also remember that Vulcan with the Draxwad, his personal bodyguard that he picked up back on uh, Nocturne, are with the Iron Hands fleet. What Medusin has done, he's managed to collect together all of the vast majority of the remaining Iron Hands 
legion together into one place with the idea to smash the sons of Horus in this region. He even has some of the um, Black Shields, Ortec Moor and the Red Talon with him as well, because they are more Black Shields than Iron Hands at this stage. Oh yeah, at this point, they're, they're no longer in the legion. The legion no. barely exists at this point. Because you know what, like my, if I had had an efficient synopsis, it would be like, Jesus Christ, the Iron Hands are fucked up. <laughs> like they really fucked up at this point. Yeah. They're not doing we, well. No, but as far as Medusa is concerned, he has reunited the Legion. He's yeah. removed the leadership threat from the Iron Fathers. Well, the, he removed the leadership threat of the, of the, um, the Ferris Manus Golem. Well, no, no. Vulcan removed that threat. Yeah, Vulcan removed that threat, yeah. yeah. Um, by so, smashing it. They yeah. literally built... Oh, yeah, Alex, uh, this is a, this is an important part that you miss. Uh, the Iron Hands built a golem. They, they, they managed to recover Iron... <laughs> Ferris Manus's Iron Hand and like just built one a of his golem hands? around it. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> like and, an and he was giving them like directives by like... Hands? <laughs> yeah, it's, you should read this book. It's very good. All right, I got audible credit, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in right now. We're gonna ruin it, but it's it's very excellent. <laughs> it's, so it's yeah, fun. that was the leadership threat that Darren talks about is literally a, a Ferris Panis golem that was giving orders by twitching his fingers. Yes, the Gorgon has spoken. <laughs> twitch, twitch. Yeah, it's like <laughs> when they had that uh, was it an otter that was uh, choosing who was gonna win like Super Bowl brackets or yeah. It's Whatever. roughly that. Should we attack these sons of Horus? <laughs> yeah, they hold up two pictures, like one of Horus and one of Fulgrim, and just wait to see which one he points at. <laughs> it, it was roughly, yeah. That's actually pretty close. Uh, oh, did, are you sure you didn't read the book? <laughs> yeah. No, I have it. Looking it up right now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, um, uh, Medusa managed to, uh, to manages to neutralize, or so he thinks, uh, the threats to his leadership, and then he goes on an offensive against a giant sense of horror's fleet that is essentially blockading him. Yeah. But he Vulcan could still get away. That, that's important. He could get away, or he could actually face uh, Tybalt Mars, uh, sense of Horus Armada. Yeah. Vulcan is still with them. Vulcan is refusing to fight alongside them, but he's staying with them until he can reach a point where he can carry his journey on. So he's not supporting Medusan openly, but he's also not acting against Medusan. That that's a key point, uh, and he's also avoiding all the, all the salamanders as well. Yeah. He's distancing himself from that. So we get so to they, a point they retcon where Vulcan into being Lionel Johnson and just like a dirty fence sitter. It's no, not really. Vulcan is more. You, you need to listen to the second part. Okay, it, right. it, it's more the fact <laughs> that Vulcan is trying to get back to Terra, and he knows. Yeah, that, he's got a mission. Yeah. yeah. He, he can only get there with a small number. And if he tries to take all the salamanders, which are with Medusan, he won't get there. The journey will fail. He can't. But basically, he views himself as not part of the wider war any longer. He has a specific duty yep. back on Terra. So um, we get very much a um, Battle of Trafalgar scenario, don't we? Where the, the Iron Hands and the Sons of Horus fleet kind of pair off against each other and it's quite clear the sons of horus have a have a numerical advantage but medusan has brought a dirty trick up his sleeve hasn't he he's a he's a wily one he's, he's very wily, wily. He um is, but he's terran yeah so he's more 
accepts him to think outside the box a little bit more. He's not constrained by Legion outlooks or Legion homeworld perceptions. And honestly, I find that this particular battle was one of the better written void battles in any of these novels because yes. you have an idea of what's happening and there's tactics and there's you know, both sides are trying to one-up each other. It's too many of these battles are just sort of, oh, uh, this ship fired torpedoes and then this ship fired torpedoes and then all the torpedoes hit the other ships. Fun was had. But this is really, really well constructed. It really brought to mind Grant McNeil's magisterial work with the Battle of Moloch in that you, you, you get in your head, you have an idea, or Solar War. Um, you have in your head, you have an idea of what's actually happening. Uh, and, and too many of these battles are just like, you know, two fleets just kind of bashing against each other. Yeah, and I think what I got from this is more how you visualize Battlefleet Gothic games. Yeah. I, I get the impression that Nick Kime has played Battlefleet Gothic. Oh, yeah, obviously. Uh, and he's clearly thought about how these ships are maneuvering. But also what I liked about both Old Earth and also we see this with Solar War is they are clearly fighting in three dimensions as well. I think a lot of previous void, void combat we've had is they're only fighting on the same plane, whereas this one very much describes the importance of trying to get above or below your opponent about rolling the ship 180 degrees so you can um, utilise both flanks of your, of your ship's batteries as well. Um, it's those little touches which made all the difference. So, JP, what is the surprise that Medusin has brought along? Well, Medusin is, uh, one of his ships is sort of escorting a couple like the old junkers, like uh, old ships that are all, all beaten up. And if anybody knows old, old warfare, you kind of see where this is going. So it's uh, kind of escorting a bunch of uh, old uh, uh, busted up ships into the Sons of Horus Armada. And of course, Sons of Horus, needlessly aggressive. And and I think that's fair. I think you, you, they're, they're, they're the most yeah. aggressive legion, except for maybe the, the, the world eaters. They're an aggressive legion, always on the attack. So when they see um, a, a sort of uh, this opening, the Sons of Horus kind of like mob it with a, with, a, uh, with a bunch of ships. And then you realize that there's no actual crew on any of those ships, except for skeleton crew and servitors. And you realize they're fire ships. Uh, all the ships detonate. And they take out dozens of, of Sons of Horus uh, uh, cruisers. Well, it completely smashes the it smashes line, line yeah. Sons of Horus. Yeah, completely breaks the line. And in any case where you have Void War and the line is broken, that's then exploited, isn't it? Yep. And at the same time, uh, they launch, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, Stormbirds and boarding torpedoes. At like the one uh, at the other ships at the other uh, sons of warships that are in the vicinity, uh, one of them is even actually taken by uh, a contingent of of Iron Hands and Salamanders. Yes, and that's where we get an awesome corridor fight with a yep. contemptor, which is absolutely brilliant. So they've just been fighting down the, the main ventral corridor, going past all the internal defensive. The auto cannon turrets that spill down the salt cannons. They fought their way through. They think brilliant. There's bridge doors. We can get in, we can... We can take the ship. We can take the ship and the door kind of hisses open. It's like that Rogue One scene with Vader at the end of the corridor. Yeah. And instead of 
thinking, we've got this. They have this contemptor just barges out. And it's the description of what how it was responded. It's not just a kind of heavy plod out. This thing charges at them at high speed and just absolutely rips them to pieces. You've got a description of them of it pulling Astartes' arms off. Then you've got the salamanders, the iron hands of fire, plasma weaponry, bolt weaponry at it, and it's just kind of deflecting all of these rounds everywhere. One of them tries to get in with a thunder hammer and he just gets smashed off into uh, into the deck. It really shows what contemptors are like in close combat. Oh, it's utterly savage, and they don't know how to get get through it. And then suddenly, you know, you know, the heroes are the cavalry always comes. Yeah, and, and, well, not quite because they do deal with the first one. They oh yeah, and then, then, these, then it's like a fire thing that comes out. Yeah, they fire all these mass <laughs> reactives into the legs. That's right. Topple it over, and as soon as it falls over, as kind of any of these big dreadnoughts and automata do, they swarm all over it, and they just absolutely murder it. And they could it's that kind of classic thing of oh. Thank God that one's dealt with. And then the second run arrives. <laughs> and it's brilliant because they just did this, this, this whole kind of feeling of, oh, we just dealt with that one. But how is this one dealt with? Yeah, well, uh, again, the cavalry comes in. Uh, out of nowhere, uh, Vulcan teleports in and smashes it to pieces and yeah. teleports back out. It's like, well, that was yeah. cool. <laughs> I, I love how he does it, though. He just teleports in. Uses uh, Dawnbreaker, isn't it? And smash, like you say, smashes apart, and then says, "The glory, the glorious capture of a ship is yours." And steps out the way yep. of the door. It's just like, great. How do you not? How, how, how do you, can you not like Vulcan? Like, I, 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 I respect Vulcan. He, he's he's a badass. He's one of the better Primarchs, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, I, he's very, very much alongside his warriors. You can see why the Salamanders fought so hard to get him back he's more human than the rest of them oh yeah yes yeah he, he understands humans more than the rest of them i think i think it's the important uh factor like he, yeah. he he gets how you talk to people in a way that like the lion um i think vulcan is up there with horus as being able to talk to people yes. even more than gulliman which is the other one that you would think uh, gulliman is always distant isn't it mm. you always get the impression yeah. that he's like Gilliman is always like a teacher talking to a student. Yeah. He's always that there's always that separation between him and his sons. Yeah. Whereas, how many, how, how many, which primarchs would elicit the kind of devotion that a regular human would willingly sacrifice himself for? Like, and, and not out of fear, but out of uh, out of genuine respect and love. Lorgar. Lorgar, Vulcan, Horus, uh, maybe Sanguinius, maybe. I don't even think Sanguinius. Yeah, I, I, no, uh, no, Sanguinius, Def, definitely yeah. Sanguinius. So the effects he has in Siege of Terror show yeah. demonstrate that. Yeah, that's um, true. you you could make an argument Angron before he becomes adopted by the Emperor because he leads that slave army. That is true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. I I was thinking Korax as well because he leads the entire uprising. Kind yeah. of speaks to speaks to a lot of his commanders as if he's more yeah. like you know on their level it it gradually changes throughout the the heresy and he starts to become more distant from them but well, like in the flashbacks Cor- to deliverance uh, yeah Korax, like, as long as you're not terran 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he doesn't even want to talk to you if you're Terran. He just sends yeah. you to the ghoul stars because you you had the audacity to survive. <laughs> How dare you? What a How dick. Dare you? Yeah, I, say that, anyway. I say that as an Ashen Claws player. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's get back to reducing. So we get to a point now where this starts being Vox messages backwards and forwards between Fleet and Tybalt Ma is baiting reducing to come again. Yeah. And this is something that we've seen quite a lot from Tybalt Ma, where he's baiting reducing to come on, come and get me. You know where I am. I did. bro. Yeah. And reducing does, doesn't yep. he? Medusin boards assault craft and launches into Sons of Horus Fleet after Tybalt Ma. Does it go particularly well? Um, not really. <laughs> not well, really. Uh, for, first of all, uh, uh, first of all, uh, uh, for, for for this brief moment, the Iron Hands actually have space superiority over the Sons of Horus after they detonated all the fire ships and managed to b- make a big hole in the lines. And that that hole in the in in the Sons of Horus line is uh, how Vulcan gets away. So Vulcan he grabs his buddies, uh, his uh, uh, Drox Swarlds. And um, they jump in the Volcanus, which is their uh, Stormbird, and they hightail it um, to the Eldar world that they're supposed to go to. So a Vulcan leaves, yeah. and, and for a while it looks like, okay, Medusa's, uh, we, can, we, can, we can destroy them. We can destroy the Sons of Horus right here. And uh, after that, the Sons of Horus, uh, remember the, the ship that they captured? I don't remember what it was called. Uh, the, the Horus Triumphant. Yeah, the horse, the horse triumphant. <laughs> and this is where the, the you start to get the idea that things aren't going to plan. Yeah, so they, because... they capture the ship, they they bring a bunch of servitors on board, and, and now the iron hands are even stronger. They have an extra ship, and it was a apparently it's a big ship, probably like I don't know, like in a spoiler class or something. It was a big ship. It's a, it's certainly a grand cruiser or something, a cruiser yeah. or grand cruiser, isn't it? So but then suddenly, uh out of <laughs> Out of nowhere, what happens? Who materializes out of thin air? Well, even before that, they they build up the power in the ship, haven't they? And then they they're heading towards the Sons of Horus fleet, and they're like, "Well, why are we not slowing down? And yeah. why haven't the why haven't the lances fired? Because they should have fired by now. Why are the main batteries not? Didn't firing? also Vulcan said you should destroy the ship? Yes, like you should destroy the this ship is like is evil. You should destroy it. Yeah. And then suddenly you get the the classic um, curdled milk smell in the air, the smell of ozone, and three, three just staring, teleport onto a bridge. And it's brilliant how they've done this because they're not using the standard teleportarum. They've actually teleported in through the, the sacrificed bodies of a bridge crew because they'd all sacrificed themselves before the salamanders got into the, onto a bridge. And I love this. The fact that the crew planned that far ahead. It's like, okay, we'll use our souls as a conduit to allow the Sons of Horus to teleport on board. And three just staring annihilate the entire bridge crew, including two of the fairly big characters we've followed through this novel so far. Well, Lumac does, uh, he he does do very well. Oh, he does do very well. He takes his, what is it? It's uh, it's Yeah. His like double-handed fucking blade. He cuts one just staring clean in half, and like the top half of the body kind of slides off, and then he flings the other one through another just staring's like faceplate. So he does yeah. very well. And uh, one of the themes of this is that um, 
And that was that was Lumac and Lumac. He's in the, he, sorry. He's a uh, he's captain of of Clan Averney, and um, his his buddy is uh, Neuros. He's a salamander, and Neuros keeps telling him, "He's like, what are you going to name this blade? It's a badass blade. Where are you going to name it?" And he keeps suggesting things like, could, "You could name it Wrath. That's a good name." Um, and 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 finally, you know, there's this beautiful moment where um, they, they kill all, all, all the Jesteran, but by then it's too late. Already, uh, the horse well, triumphant been... has opened fire on the ships around it and destroyed like four of them. Yeah, and they've all been, and they've both been critically injured, aren't they? Oh, they're, yeah. they're dying on the floor themselves, aren't they? So you you get the classic that their chest plates have been smashed in. One of them was hit with a multi melter. It's like, yeah, that'll do you. That'll finish you off. And then and the, this beautiful moment, though, is just like I, 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 I found um, I found the name for for my blade. Uh, as as Neuros is dying, the Neuros the Salamander is dying, and it's like, what would you name it? Fire Drake, out of you know, out of respect for my friend and for the glory of of, of Vulcan, and then he just goes down. It's Fire Drake, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then he goes, and then he, as the torpedoes start coming in, because the ship is all it's already destroyed all the like the, the Iron Hand ships that were around it, and now it's just about to get fucking destroyed by torpedoes, and he just like stands up with his blade up against uh, up high, just yelling Gorgon, Vulcan, Gorgon, Vulcan, as the fire takes him. Like it's it's a beautiful little moment. Sometimes it's 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 cliched, but it's 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 lovely. It makes you feel good. Yeah. And that theme carries on, doesn't it? Because we now cut to Medusa uh, on board the um, oh, what's what's Tybalt Mars' ship, Lupercal Persevent, um, and they're fighting through the ship, and they finally get to this area, which is quite clearly a trap. It's, it's a long trap. arterial corridor. Also, they can't figure out um, where where are all the where are all the other ones? Where are all the other sons of? Uh, uh, sorry. Um... Uh, Iron Hands. Yeah. Like, what did no one else launch with us? And they're trying to raise them on the Vox, aren't they? And again, yeah, like, oh, I guess they didn't make it. Pieces. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Clearly, clearly, they will shut down because we know that happens a lot in Void Warfare, doesn't it? The boarding craft gets shut down. And they enter this arterial corridor, doors slam down on either end of them to so their trap. Tons of Sons of Horus appear on the upper roofs and around the corridor and just absolutely lay waste to this boarding party don't they it, it's that classic scene of a last stand with people dying all around the mass reactive rounds going off you've got people getting shot down you, they've got breaching shields trying to cover them and their rounds are sneaking through and eventually medusa and just one or two others is left is uh, aren't they yeah, uh, him and uh, Mikosa. Yes. So yeah, um, and eventually they're, they're, they're chained up, and Tabot Mar um, comes out as as a sniveling villain, but not like I think a very effective villain in this. Is he, he doesn't come off as like he's chewing some scenery, but it's not like you know the painted count, right? <laughs> and so they chain him up, and they 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 throw him in 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 some cells, and. So they kill Makosa, like immediately uh, they, 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 they chop his head off. Um, and then Medusin, this should be between you and me. You know, if, 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 if everything is about your vendetta against me, then let's, let's go blade to blade. And Tablet Mars, yeah, like, no, this, this is what like, this isn't about. 
is like the Iron Temple endure. We're laying, you'll never break us. And Master's like, you really just don't get this, do you? And he just draws his sword and decapitates him. Yep. <laughs> he just takes Medusa's head and that's it. That's it. It's as simple as that. It's it's just like, I'm not going to explain my plan to you. I'm not going to put you into some sort of torture where you will easily escape. It's not, I'm not going to keep you a prisoner. It's like, this is yeah. the Chthonian way. This is, all I need is your head to prove to Horus. I, yeah, dead. the only reason I kept you alive this long is because I wanted to confirm that it was actually you. And I can't yeah. wait to show Gale Nocturna your head. Yeah. And without Medusan, the Iron Hands are going to break apart. The Iron Fathers are going to follow their original plan. They're going to break and they're going to run back into their clan forces. And they're now no longer part of heresy. They are a broken yep. force. That's the thing. Uh, uh, so um, the Iron Father of like the closest Medusa's closest ally betrayed him. Yeah. Og, uh, Jebez Og. Uh, uh, the reason that that Medusan went into battle with no support is because all the, the, the boarding torpedoes had malfunctions. Yes. It turns out like uh, um, uh, the, the, the Iron Father, uh, Og, um, made sure that Medusan went on his own. It, it was their way of getting rid of Medusan. So in the in in the the the, the middle part of the story, it's Medusan finally taking control of the Legion and getting rid of all these schisms. He failed. He failed. Yeah. We, we find out that at the end of the day, he failed. Yeah. That no matter what he did, no matter how an effective war leader he was, because let's get this right, he was an effective war leader. He was doing exactly what needed to be done with the intent. But he, as we mentioned last time, he failed the political game. Uh, absolutely. And at the end of the day, and this is the other thing that we underlined last time, the Iron Hands are messed up. They, they are not okay. <laughs> like, they, 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 they pretend that they, they, they were the one of the three legions, including Alex's, that were savaged on Istvan. They are the ones that were the least touched. They only really lost their first company. And they lost a lot trying to re recover, um, like, you know, try to recover troops. But at the end of the day, they were they're the largest of the three shattered legions. But they were yeah. they were the most fucked up because they lost their primer. And that always leads to what ifs, doesn't it? What if Medusan had survived that ambush and kept the Iron Tenth together as a cohesive force for the rest of the heresy? What kind of impact would that have made on the wider war? That's, that sounds like a good what if. Yeah. It's not like we've got a contest of that coming up anytime soon. So that is Medusan's storyline. So, Alex, what do you think so far? Brought to a conclusion. Uh, well, I mean, I'd read uh, Seventh Serpent or whatever. So I'd always been like, hey, um, how does, like, why why does he have Medusan, uh, Medusan's ship? Uh, and now my questions are answered. There you go. You see, even yeah. if you haven't read the book, it's still, we, you, our conversations are still very useful. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, I guess really it shows that there was nobody better to lead the Iron Hands than Medicine because he really followed in uh, in fair. He was effective. Footsteps. He was effective. Yeah, I more meant he uh, had a like an eight-inch haircut, but yeah. Yeah, that too. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the second part. Uh, or I guess the second main storyline, because that's it for the Iron Hands. They don't come back. Yeah. <laughs> into the story. They're done for the heresy. The Legion does survive. Um, it does, you know, they still exist 10,000 years down the line. So Having maybe they were right. The I don't know. Let, let's make this clear. The reason they survive is because they run through a war. Yeah. And, and they even betrayed their greatest leader to extricate themselves from the from the war. 
anyways, that's that's on them. They can they can they can have fun with that. So let's do you want to do Eldrad first? Yeah, let's do Eldrad. Eldrad? Okay, Eldrad's murder spree. Oh Jesus. <laughs> it's fine. He's only got one name left on the list. It's not a problem. We didn't talk about Slow Dow last time though. Yeah, we did. Oh, did we do Slow Dow last time? Yeah, okay. we did we did Slow Dow last time. So this is the final okay. the final piece the final of the boss. Piece for perpetual murder. <laughs> so him and Neric on their, you know, vacation murder spree. And this one's very much more metaphorical, isn't it? Because this is setting up wider events. Yeah. This, for those of you who've read the Siege of Terror books, this involves quite a lot of the key events that will connect to the John Grammaticus, Old Pearson storyline that's been kind of interwoven in a lot of different stories and we're really seeing paying off now in the Siege of Terror stories. But the last time we saw John Grammaticus was he'd been made mortal, so he's no longer a perpetual because he had failed in his role of killing Vulcan. He was meant to kill Vulcan with the uh, Fulgurite. He had stabbed Vulcan with the Fulgurite, but not officially finished him off. So as a punishment, the Cabal have imprisoned him in this... How do you want to describe it? The holodeck. He's on the holodeck. He's on the holodeck, yes, effectively. But he is guarded by another perpetual. Um, which we have also previously seen before, haven't we? Yeah, Damon. Yeah. And Damon is an assassin. There's there's no other way to describe him, is there? So, and he's really chafing of the, the fact that he's there guarding John Grammaticus. And John Grammaticus has had his memory taken from him. He thinks he's on a farm and he's just living out his life, which I find really interesting because that's the first time we met old Pearson in No No Fit was as a farmer living on a backwater planet, trying to live out his life. So there's something potentially in the perpetual mindset of they just want a usual, normal life. And we see that with Vulcan as well. Vulcan constantly mentions he just wants to be a simple blacksmith, but he can't achieve that. Eldrad arrives and makes it very, very clear to Damon that Grammaticus is coming with them. How does Damon react? Uh, By shooting at him. By shooting them. With shuriken weapons. (laughs) Which apparently he's very good at using. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the irony of an Eldrad being attacked by shuriken weapons. (laughs) There's a certain irony in that, isn't there? But if Eldrad was by himself, then he may be in problems. And I love this line by Damon of Eldrad is standing there with his witch blade. You've got Damon with his twin shuriken pistols and he says, you've brought a sword to a gunfight, Seer. At which point, there is a slight sound of a high-powered bolt rifle shot. And whoever has brought one of those? But yeah, like, also a bunch of, like, other Eldar assassins kind of show up to, like, support them. But they all kind of also get blasted. Yes. Because and eventually, like, uh, <laughs> Damon runs into the to like the barn. The barn is an actual structure, though. The, the rest is like yes. all holographic, but the barn is an actual structure. Um, so he's trying to get away because um, he didn't really expect a uh, an Astartes to uh, just pop up. And not just an Astartes. He's wearing one for Harlequin Devadisi. Yeah. The, the hollow suits as well to blend into the background. How he managed to get one of those on over the Astartes battle plate, I'm not quite sure. 
maybe he stitched several together or something. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, it winds up working. Yes. It's brilliant because Nerik just deals with all these elder assassins, doesn't he? He's just taken them out one at a time. To um, with with his bolt rifle and just gunning them all down. Well, Eldrad is hunting um, Damon. Yeah, and eventually they uh, they get him. So um, Narek gets Damon. Essentially, breaks his neck as Damon's like mouthing off because that's what he does. <laughs> Narek breaks his neck, throws him onto the ground, and then um, Eldrad manages to like break the the sort of the, like the the fuckery. That happened to John Grammaticus so that he remembers who he is. And then it's like, oh, so you're just here to, you, uh, you've just been like killing everybody. You're here to kill me. It's like, no, no, you, you still have a job to do. You still have a mission. Can you find all Pearson? Like, I think that all Pearson, you're the only person that can find all Pearson. So that's what this is all about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is really interesting. I mean, because all the way through this, Eldrad and Narek have been killing perpetuals because according to Eldrad's beliefs, perpetuals spin the web around them. Every time they interfere in an event, it changes the, the skein of the future. So by removing perpetuals, it makes it easier to see future paths, which is what Eldrad's specialty is as a farset. However, he clearly sees that old Pearson has a key role to play and it needs to be grammaticus that guides him now we know grammaticus is no longer a perpetual he's mortal because his perpetual abilities have been removed from him by the um conclave yeah no, cabal. The cabal. by the cabal so that's why grammaticus is allowed to remain alive because he doesn't count as perpetual any longer but it's interesting that Eldred recognises that one perpetual, Grammaticus, uh, not Grammaticus, sorry, Old Pearson, is important enough that he needs to succeed in what his mission is, which at this point of the novels, we don't know. All we know is he's trying to get to Terra. And even with the Siege of Terra novels, we don't know what his end goal is. There's lots of older lore around it. For example, he's mentioned at one point of being on the Vengeful Spirit during the final fight. How that will play out, we still don't know. Um, well, he's supposed to distract Horus, or sorry, he's supposed, he's supposed to get blasted by, according to the old lore, old Pearson gets blasted by Horus, and, and then the Emperor realizes at that point that his son is gone, and then uh, the Emperor blasts yeah. uh, him. Or That's one version of the story. There's a couple of versions of uh, old Pearson, but he's the, he's the patron saint of the Imperial Guard yeah. uh, in the future. Yeah, he's a brilliant character. I do love old Pearson. But anyway, so that's the end game, isn't it? That yep. Oh, and and oh, by the way, the the darkest part is when uh, Damon starts to re-knit himself and sort of like after his neck was broken by Neric because he's in, he's a perpetual, right? So he, he comes back to life, and then Neric just puts a full right round into his fucking into his sniper rifle and puts him down yeah. for good. And Grammaticus is like, "Oh, he's you really killed him. He's actually dead now." And and, yeah. and it was kind of sad. It's like putting down a, like a stray dog. Yeah, like, but David is kind Nerick. of an asshole. But like, but Nerik certainly ensures that he's not going to be an yeah, asshole. That's the end of that. that. That's the end of that storyline. <laughs> so for, uh, so Eldred sends Bramascus on his way, and then they disappear off into the web by themselves, don't they? 
in, yep. into the classic um, path of light, as they describe it. Yeah, and just to conclude uh, the like Narek storyline, because Eldrad, we'll, we'll talk about uh, Vulcan in a second, but uh, Eldrad does, uh, sorry, um, Narek does show up at the end being freed by word bearers. He's in a prison somehow, somewhere. He's he's in a prison that gets like stormed by word bearers. And one of them looks at him and is like, oh, you're a bearer of the word. Come with us. We're going to Terra. It's like, all right. <laughs> Fine. I don't know what the hell's happening with that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because so far he's not turned up in the Siege of Terra books. Yep. So, so uh, I, I don't know, but uh, that's where that's where Eldrad dumped him. Uh, he yeah. was in like a prison sh- like a prison barge or something that was like yeah. raided by word bearers. It's like, oh, cool. Thanks you're one of for, us. Let's go. Thanks. Lor- Lorgar told us we're going to terrorists. It's like, all right. God damn thanks it. for all your help, Eldrad. This is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Glad we trusted somewhere. You. <laughs> yeah. It's what you get for trusting an elder, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So right. Vulcan. Vulcan. The third and last part of the storyline. Uh, so last yes. we saw Vulcan, he was blasting off through the hole that was made by the fire ships, uh, by Medusan's fire ships before Medusan unfortunately met the same fate as his gene father. Mm. So he is heading for a planet called Caldera, which has previously appeared in a short story. Oh, uh, yeah, that. yeah. It, one of the earliest stories, I think it's in the Primarchs anthology, is where the Iron Hands and the Salamanders are fighting against a... Uh, force of the Elder on a planet called Caldera, which is a very, well, as we know, it's a maiden world, as, as we know them in the Elder lore. The stories mostly focus on Ferris and his interaction with the Elder, because it's one of these other cases where the Elder are trying to warn him about the upcoming heresy, and he's completely ignoring it. But it mentions the Salamanders are there, and in this location, there is a Wraith Gate. And that's where Vulcan is heading for. He knows he needs to get to this race gate because he needs to get to the webway to lead him back to Terra. Because remember, he has that special little compass that is guiding him. Yeah. One, one, one of the seven hammers. Very, very similar to old Pearson has. We mentioned this from a previous episode that it's very interesting how two perpetuals both have the, a compass that is leading them to Terra through the webway or certainly something equivalent of. There is something standing in Vulcan's way on Caldera, though. Yes, and what would a Salamander's novel be without dinosaurs? Absolutely. Now, these aren't the same dinosaurs that eat Death Guard, because these ones are ridden by Elder. These are the Exodites, and this one for few descriptions we've had of Elder Exodites, and they sound awesome. Yeah. The description we get of these Elder are brilliant. They're feral. I, I was just reading this and I'm like, does Games Workshop not love money? Like, why yeah. the hell isn't there an Exodite army? Like, Alex, like, seriously, like, why the why would they not create this army? Like, who the hell doesn't um, want Eldar riding because, dinosaurs? Because uh, for the people that want to make an Exodite army, you can sell them three kits instead of one kit because you got to convert it. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's an. I don't know. I'm t- I'm taking the <laughs> taking the business. Uh, business slant on it um i don't know i mean maybe they're coming right we've got corsairs they brought back squats Um, like legit they brought back squats yeah they brought they brought squats back uh we've got eldar corsairs so like in i think they have they have the keyword outcasts or something so and race they have 
they have a keyword and race, which means they fit both the uh, craft worlds and the Drakari. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I mean, maybe. Um, and then the Harlequins can play in that too. I don't know. Uh, we can hope. I did buy some of the Corsairs though, because fucking radical. They're pretty sweet. Our pirates That's are awesome. Pirates. They are. And they are gorgeous sculpts. They're a pain in the ass to paint, me. I haven't tried painting them yet. Um, yeah. The, the way the sculpts were, I know this is a bit of an aside, apologies, everyone. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the, way they're, the way they're sculpted is the cloaks go all around the legs. So it's uh, really difficult to get to certain parts of the cloaks without uh, hitting yeah. the legs. But they are good, and there's a lot of detail on them. Because I've, I've painted up some for my craft Wars Force. But yeah, they're, they're, they're amazing sculpts. They're gorgeous. Loads and loads of detail, but really awkward to paint. Yeah, sweet. I'm excited. Um, I, I don't know. Hopefully, we get kind of some small supplements for it. It would just seem like or... putting out exodites would be like a machine to print money. You might as well have a license to print money at that point. Yeah. Um, if you want to see some cool conversions for them, though, um, there's a a lady that uh, Miles teaches, um, and she goes by like at Warp Storm, I think, on Instagram. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, she's got some really nice ones. But anyways, one of them's blocking uh, Vulcan's way. But the thing is, and Vulcan's being kind of a jerk about it. It's just like, oh, I should just kill this, this Xenos right now. It's just like, come on, Vulcan. Like, the, the, he's letting you buy. Like, uh, Eldrad told him that he had to let you into the webway. Why are you being an asshole? I thought I love, Vulcan was being kind of a jerk about this. Yeah, but I do like the, the extract saying, we have seen your death day. So we, we know when you die. <laughs> it's that whole elder exodite thing, that whole elder, we know better more than you do. Um, ignore the fact we created the Chaos God. But effectively, yeah, we, we don't talk about that. Um, but it's that classic, that interaction between the two, because you have the Draxard really bristling, aren't they? They really want to go at the exodites. And Vulcan is kind of, no, we need, we need them. They need to let us through. And they do, don't they? So you have that interaction between the two. There's, there's a bit of, you know, tension between them, but eventually the exodites allow them to enter the webway, which then leads them into the... Now, into Master of Mankind. Into, yeah, the Master of Mankind. I'm trying to remember the name. It's the perfect city, isn't it, I believe it's called? Yeah, I think so. Uh, especially through the webway, and then you start coming up to, like, destroyed titans and... <laughs> Mounds well, of, of traitor and- legionaries with one gold <laughs> halberd kind of like poking up in the pile. Yeah. And also um they start to get some of the weird effects. So at one point, each of them is walking on a different vertical plane. So you yeah. have one work walking along the bottom, two walking along the sides, and Vulcans walking along the ceiling or something like that. So you get these really weird physics coming in. But and they start to recognize mechanicum technology. In there as well, don't they? Yeah. Before well, they, they start, start realizing that bodies. okay, this was the emperor's great work. It's like okay, we're we're this is where we are now. This is what he was trying to do, and he failed. Yeah, it was a failure. And it's as they get closer and closer, they start to get the attention of some minor demons, don't they? Yeah, they get attacked. Well, first they get attacked by a bunch of uh, traitor legionaries, like but like far gone, like like cult marines, right? Like plague marines and berserkers and everything like that. Yeah. Um, which they, they managed to dispose of pretty quickly. And then they just start to get mobbed by thousands of demons. And eventually, 
they reach a point in, in, in the tunnel where they see like this giant army of demons that are besieging like a couple mm. dozen custodies. Before that, Vulcan unleashes his WMD. That's right. I forgot about that. He releases he releases Dawnbreaker, doesn't he? Because he's being absolutely mobbed by all these bloodletters. So he just ignites the hammer and it just obliterates everything in a certain radius, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like a video game where you, if you have that, like the, the weapon that destroys all the enemies on the screen, mm. that's sort of what it does. He's, and, he was smashing, he was smashing all the buttons in one, in one go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Need to get my special move off. I, I was playing. Um, I went to the arcade a few weeks ago with my um, with my cousin, and we were playing Marvel versus Capcom two, and which is known as like a button mashing game. My, my cousin was trying to do moves. All I was doing just like mashing buttons, and I was beating him, and he got so angry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible game uh so uh yeah uh, uh, uh vulcan mashes all the buttons kills all the enemies on the screen and then they keep moving in the tunnels and they find yeah these custodies that are like besieged by thousands and tens of thousands millions of demons it's like we can't go through there well they also see the gate don't they yeah they also see the gates for the emperor's dungeon and so the- close to, 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 to the imperial palace the, the golden light that's kind of supporting it and they're like yeah we can't get to that there's no way we can yeah. get to that Which and then they get attacked by demon prince of nurgle yeah. and then vulcan gets eaten yes it's brilliant it's a classic isn't it <laughs> we haven't had something like this for ages it's just this massive horrific is it a great unclean one um because it was described no. more as like a, a, a spindly kind of thing yeah it's a demon prince it's a demon prince, and he eats Vulcan. Yeah, it's Ag- so Agalbor. Of, Agalbor. Yeah, the demon of Nurgle, the bringer of foxes. How big this demon prince is. Yeah, he literally Does grabs that. Vulcan and swallows him whole. So how's he going to get out of that, we wonder? So, yeah, he well, it's because he, he, he finds... It's weird. Inside the demon, it's like it's, it's an alternate dimension. It's like he's been eaten. And then he's suddenly in like this world of flame and it's, it's all weirdness. And that's what's, and again, the kind knocked out of the park with this kind of stuff. This is so great. Um, and, and, but eventually he managed to get Dawnbreaker. He rips out the, the fucking great and clean ones uh, um, tongue and like the, the explodes it from the inside. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of a similar scene in a film. Because there is, oh, there's so. I was gonna say artists. it's like it's like uh, Boba Fett getting out of the Sarlacc at the beginning of uh, Book of Boba Fett, but no, yes. it's way more explosive than that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's much much more expensive, uh, explosive. But at which point, who should come to help them out eventually? Our boy Eldrad. Yeah, finally appears, and he's like, "Yeah, you can't go through there." It's like, "Yeah, we figured that out." <laughs> yeah. And then he so, reveals himself as I am Deathfire, and Vulcan's just like, "Yeah, I know." Yeah, yeah, we figured that out too. <laughs> yeah, great. Thanks, thanks for telling us that. Brilliant. Um, so we got to. It's like we don't trust you. It's like, yeah, well, look, the, this is the only hope for your race. Like, I made a mistake. I put all my money on the Gork and lost. <laughs> so now, um, now that 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 Ferris Man has died, uh, I, uh, I I looked at all the strands, and all the strands seem to point to you and. Um, you 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 gotta you gotta get to terrorists. Like, yeah, I know, I, I know, I gotta get terrorists. Like, okay, can you can you go this way? Like, I don't think I trust you. It's like, well, yeah, but like, just go this way. Watch, that's pretty much it. Watch, 
choice do you have? What choice do you have, really? Now, at this point, we now need to take a slight diversion to terror. Because yeah, there's a um, little mini storyline, isn't there, right at the end? Yeah, I don't think we need to spend too much time on this one. It's just uh, there are a bunch of uh, judges. Um, I guess there's a... Uh, on Terra, the the tension, the invasion hasn't started, right? So the tension is is great, and um, so you have uh, the, this this like this wall that's keeping like refugees from getting into the Imperial Palace, and you have a bunch of judges that are hanging around, and there's been like some ter- there's a couple of terrorist act acts. Um, um, a Valkyrie is is shot out of the sky, and there's like what what sounds like a, like a car bomb or something like that. Um, yeah. So um, and, and so there's an uprising that starts by, by a bunch of cultists of the uh, of of the octed. Um, and well, it's this. It's a really good scene on how it's they a do good it, scene. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? So they they get so the RPTs the judges get to the Valkyrie. They they search inside and they realize everything's been stripped clear. As of course it would have. When they come out of the Valkyrie, they're surrounded by the crowd, aren't they? And you just have this one voice go. Lupercal, and another one pick up his voice, Lupercal. And then one of the judges just loses it and shoots him. Which, of course, in the classic movie trope, kicks off a riot, doesn't it? Yeah, there's a bunch of cultists that come out of the crowd and they start shooting their autocannons. And eventually, like, there's also an explosion that takes down a part of the wall. And But suddenly someone's holding up the wall. But it's also the fact that the Drax Swad are there as well. And this is a brilliant yeah. scene. Because it describes the impact the salamanders have and actually how intimidating they are, considering they're loyalists, because of the war gear they they wear in the drake skins and their helmets are like fang dragon heads and so on. For the most humane, friendly legion, they have a very, very terrifying appearance. And one of them turns around to the um, the arbiters that we've been following and says, you there. Um, get these people clear. My brothers and I will deal with a vermin. And he just yeah. wades into <laughs> this crowd of cultists. And it's just like, yeah, they're okay. Yeah, they kill, yeah, they, they kill like 50 of them. And the rest of them yeah. just like, you know, like disappear into the crowd. Um, and and meanwhile, Vulcan is literally holding up the wall that like that the piece of the wall that got exploded. And then he just kind of like he takes his hammer, smashes it so that it's not a danger to anybody. And then uh bunch of uh imperial fists show up what do they do they level bolters at vulcan because yeah. they don't believe it's him well no one does even the uh, the, uh, the iron hands didn't either i mean that's understandable but the iron hands didn't pull bolters at him yeah that's true you probably shouldn't do that but vulcan was as usual his magnanimous self and he did not murder them all <laughs> um and there's a great part where uh the the the, the iron hands praetor um, he, 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 like Vulcan notices he's, he's putting his hand closer to his blade and Vulcan's just like, don't bother little man. Like there's no way you're getting <laughs> yeah. that blade out before I take your head off. Yeah. Um, it's but a classic. If Vulcan did not have the heart or pride to tell him that however fast he was able to draw them, it would have still been too slow. Yeah. But eventually they're, they're like, okay, we'll bring you to Rogaldorn and Rogaldorn it's will not- figure out. Was that- I was going to say, it's not just any Imperial Fist. It's Archimus. Yeah. It's not... It's it's the new Archimus. No, because don't forget, this is before Vassal Pluto. 
No, they, they say they, they, they say it that uh, no, this is after Battle of Pluto. Oh, that's right. Yes, because Archimedes yes, died, and this this is the the yes. Imperial Fist, the uh, uh, Praetor that that uh, that is carrying on Archimedes' uh, legacy. Uh, like Vulcan, Vulcan notes it. Yes, you are not Archimedes. <laughs> yeah, you are not Archimedes, uh, but like, oh, um, I I, ca- I carry his legacy. It's like, well, I grieve for him. He was a great warrior. But uh, so they, they contact uh, they, they bring him to Rogodorn. Rogodorn is like. Yeah, all right, you're Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it checks out. And then they bring him to the Emperor. Yes. They were never great for you. Get you get the impression that like I I don't remember the last time in this series that there's been interaction between Rogodorn and Vulcan, but uh I don't think they were ever close friends. No, but is anyone close friends with Dawn? Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. But they did uh, did ch- he he checks out it's definitely Vulcan. They bring him to the Imperial Dungeon, and then Vulcan f- can finally fulfill the whole point of this entire arc, which I did not see coming. No, because up till now we've always held Vulcan to be the guardian, the defender, and actually the only reason the Emperor wants him there is to release the Doomsday Device if the palace falls. He's a Doomsday Device. Yeah, he's he, the kill switch. Yeah, he's um, a living WMD. That, yeah, that that the, the necklace that turns out it was the emperor all along that showed him how to make this thing, and he needed to die to be able to make it somehow. Um, this the, the, the this this necklace that he had, the seven hammer uh, necklace, um, that is to destroy Terra if ever the emperor falls. It's a doomsday device. Yeah. I did not see that it, one coming. But what this also shows, and I think it's quite important to recognise this, is clearly the Emperor is not convinced he's going to win. No. And, you know, why spend all this time and effort to bring Vulcan all the way from Nocturne, resurrect him several times, or, or plan for his resurrection several times, bring him all the way to Imperial Palace, only for him to be there to destroy everything, the Emperor's clearly not convinced they're going to get through this one in one piece. And it also shows how far the Emperor is willing to go, that he's not prepared to let Horus take Terra. He's rather going to destroy everything than let Horus take it. And I think this is something that is often missed of how far the Emperor is willing to go to deny Horus for final prize. Not only did I Horus really denying this is the eternal war between order and chaos. Humanity is a pawn in that war. The, the emperor is not defending humanity at the end of the day. He is trying to strike a blow against chaos for he is, he, he represents order. You know, this is, that's the war that he's fighting. He says it straight up in the books. Like at the end of the day, even if Terra falls, we can, you know, we can, we can cripple chaos by destroying all of humanity. <laughs> In yeah. one conflagration. Yeah, if we, it, it's the classic, isn't it? If, if we kill humanity, then chaos will die itself. Really At the end of the sure day, that's... I think the Cabal and the Emperor probably have more in common than they think. Yes. Which is a terrifying concept. That's a terrifying it? thought. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, Just... and then the end of it, I, I still like, because I always thought that they plugged Vulcan into the throne, but they don't. Uh, essentially, um, um, at the end, the end of the book is Vulcan looking at you know the seals will fail, the gate will open, and and Vulcan's like, let's go, <laughs> right? Yeah. Let's, let's go kill some demons. 
he he's basically there with the last for custodies, isn't he? Yeah, and and the two warhounds that guard the throat, the golden throat. This is fucking brilliant. It's brilliant, Alex. You've been so kind. I don't know why you didn't you didn't like just leave at this at any oh, point. It's, it's okay. I've been uh, going on mute and doing a little hobbying and stuff on the side. <laughs> so, so um, is our, the is our useless conversation? Notes. Does it make you want to read this book? Uh yeah, I've already downloaded it while we while we've been sitting here. Beautiful. I think um, you'll enjoy it. Yeah, because uh, when I got to the siege and found out that, um, well, actually somebody spoiled for me that uh, Vulcan was under there. But uh, I wondered how he got there and how they wrote that in, because that was a new piece that didn't exist in the old lore, right? Yeah. In the old lore, it was always the only prim- the only loyal primarchs that were holding the line there were Dorn, Sanguinius. Well, and, and also, um, something we did miss out is the fact that Dorn keeps him secret. Yes. Yeah. They get really mad. A Sanguinius flips out at a certain point. It's like, what do you mean Vulcan's here? Yeah. I think it's I, Lost in the Damned. It's like, what do you mean Vulcan's here? I can't remember if it was Lost in the Damned. It, I, I don't remember the scene where he gets mad about it. Might have been Mortis, maybe. I don't know. I'm partway through Warhawk right now. So no Warhawks spoilers. But um, yeah, I just can't remember. I can't remember it. It didn't like it didn't wow me because somebody spoiled it for me. So I was just kind of like, oh god damn it, man. It was a guy who had like actually hadn't even read the book. What a jerk. He was just, he was just like, well, we know that he's down there. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, he apologized. He, he was just kind of like a slip of his fingers, I think. But um yeah, so I, I can't remember, but no, I had always wondered kind of how he got there. So it's cool that he went through the webway to get there. Um, and I like uh, the little bit of uh, Eldrad Wick has me curious about Eldrad's storyline there. It's a, honestly, um, I I didn't like a lot of the, I didn't hate it, but like uh, uh, most of the uh, Salamander's arc weren't my favorite stories, but Old Earth is absolutely phenomenal i would easily put in my top 10 of all the books in the series it's fucking great yeah Mm -hmm. i'd agree and it's i think also the other thing we need to remember about old earth is it plugs a lot of the gaps between mid heresy and late heresy yeah yeah, yeah. and in it putting a lot of things in place ready for the siege so that was old earth by nick kime uh if you haven't read it Alex, definitely check it out or listen to it on audio. Um, absolutely uh, fantastic book. So that's it. We finally caught up with a Salamander storyline. What do you want to do next time? I think we're we're due for palate cleanser. I did have an yes. idea if you don't have one. Um, no, weren't we going to do the Gilliman Primarch novel? Yeah, so that was my idea. Okay, we did talk about this. Yes. Yeah. Next episode, we're going to be doing the Gilliman uh, Primarch book. Perfect. So those Tales of Heresy. <laughs> Um, thank you, Alex, for uh, being patient with us and actually like sticking around while we talked about it around you. But I hope it was entertaining. And uh, we'll be right back for Two Gob Challenge. All right, welcome to We Gob Challenge. Now, as everybody knows, Miles is absent. So um, we're uh, still going to be a few weeks away from going back to the new format of uh, Two Gob Ch- Challenge. But um, let's still talk about what we've accomplished in the last two weeks. Darren, what have you done in the last two weeks? Um, demons. I'm, demons. I'm working, yes, really? I'm work. Yeah, I'm working on a a Zinch demon project at the moment, um, which I can use in multiple systems. So, because that's the one for joys of GW demon models is you can use them in 40k, 30k, and AOS. So, yeah, I'm I'm 
And it's very, very different because most of my armies are normally quite drab colours, quite fairly quite plain. And I'm really pushing myself on the demons because they're zines with very bright pinks and blues and purples and stuff. So it's very, very different to my usual style. So there'll be photos going up soon, but that that's where I'm working on. And cool. that's my summer holiday project. I'm, I'm hoping to get the majority of them done over this summer break. Round-based or square-based? Round. All right. Sounds good. That's awesome. Alex, since you're uh, still with us, um, what yeah. have you done the last two weeks? Oh, last two weeks, uh, I finished a few conversions on Crimson Paladins. I uh, took the shoulder pads. I built them in uh, Miles style. Uh, so, Miles style. Yeah, I, I replaced their shoulder pads with uh, uh, Palantine, or sorry, Phoenix Terminator shoulder pads. And then on I reshaped the little part of the eagle claw and the head into like just a wing with a blood drop on like an angle on four out of five of them. And then on the fifth one, I kind of like accidentally took a chunk out of it. So that one's just a circle gem <laughs> and, uh, and then swap the heads on them. Um, and then uh, uh, yeah, built my, built my box, not in the last two weeks, but I've got the red pretty much down, I think for um, 20 tactical Marines, because I also finished a, a test test model. Um, for the the Blood Angels Red, because I've traditionally painted very very dark colors, um, and so the red was something that uh, you know I'm I'm excited to do, but I didn't have enough saturation in it on the test model. I didn't think um, it still looks good, looks kind of a lot like the original ones, but there's a picture of like Blood Angels from the Visions of Heresy where it's like a really really sort of like vibrant and saturated red, and I wanted something more like that, and I've been playing with a lot of heavy shadows lately as well. So it, it, it took me admittedly a long time to get, to get the, the tactical Marines sort of sorted um, just on the base level red, but uh, yeah, I've, I've got those done and uh, I'm hoping to finish those in the next two weeks. And I have to build the conversion for my um, Praetor Kisperian. Sweet. Mm-hmm. As for myself, uh, I've been working on uh, more terrain for uh, Don't Look Back, uh, the that horror game that I first had Depticon that I'm still super excited about. Oh, I'm yeah. working on a pond right now. I was looking at the stuff that I had. I don't know. I felt like building some terrain. I had like, you know, it struck me in the last week. And I looked at what I had and I still have all this realistic water I never really use. So um, like the Woodland Scenic stuff. It's not great. It's very bad at realistic water, but I just had to build a little pond for my uh, my cabin in the woods area uh, where uh, people keep going week after week and getting murdered. And yet still the Airbnb listing keeps getting gobbled up because well, nobody's nice there to because uh, nobody's there to give it a one star review. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's one out of ten joke. totally died and <laughs> would, would not go again. Um, there's a there's an old joke about uh, um, Evil Dead. You know, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 are pretty much... Uh, Evil Dead 2 is a remake of Evil Dead, but yeah. Sam Raimi, I remember I was reading an interview, it's just like, no, it's not a remake. Ash is actually stupid enough to bring his new girlfriend to the same cabin where his old girlfriend was killed by deadites. Oh my God. Like, that's actually how stupid <laughs> he is. It's not a remake. So anyways, um, uh, but uh, yeah, you gotta love uh, you gotta, you gotta love the old slashers. 
Okay, so to end the episode today, uh, I'm going to be playing a song by the band Grim Grimsteed, more Warhammer metal that we keep finding. By the way, our Warhammer metal special is going to be coming out very shortly, um, and we will be talking about all the dozens and dozens of of, of Warhammer themed bands that uh, we've discovered in the last um, last little while. But just for today, I'm going to, I'm going to play a song by Grimsteed called Eightfold Conjuration. Um, Darren, what are we doing in the next episode? I think we already t- talked about it a little bit. TBD, but TBD? possibly Rights of War or possibly the Zomortalis rules. Let's keep it TBD. Let's figure it out. We'll figure it out on the side. But there will be something interesting in the next episode. I would just like to briefly thank Alex for uh, coming on the episode on such short notice uh, today and, and, and just being, as usual, uh, a great guest and a great friend. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me. And you've got me as much as you need me. And um, that was episode 127. And thanks, everybody, for listening.